Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. If everything that you're doing, you're doing with your cars, you will have no privacy whatsoever with your own cash. You can open the zip and actually the sandwich. Cool. It's just incredible. Eh? People drink responsibly and people drink irresponsibly. And then we have trouble outside. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion with PJ Coogan. Just listening to that thing in the news about road debts and offences and fixed charge notices and speeding and all that stuff will bring me back to a text we got yesterday that I didn't get to, which reminded me of one of the most striking interviews we did in the whole of 2023. Um, we'll come back to that during the morning. The, the thing about bringing phones into the cars... I didn't hear it, maybe it was there, but with regard to, you know, what causes accidents and what people are getting fined for, just how much of it involves uh, mobile phones. I'll get to that in a little while. Good morning, Tuesday. What were the roads like this morning, by the way? I was coming in and I, having sort of been prepared for frost and glistening roads and sliding and all, it was grand. It was very soft when I was coming out, about one degree. And there was a little bit of frost on the car, but the roads were fine. That was about quarter to seven, so I don't know what it was like afterwards. It can actually freeze very hard in that hour between seven and eight. They say that that the coldest hour is the hour just before the sun comes up. So I don't know what they were like. We didn't hear too many reports of roads being too bad. If there was anything we should be watching, like yesterday morning, Barney was a disaster area. If there's anywhere we should be watching, let me know, won't you? At 083. 396 Now, we have spoken many times, not just throughout 2023, but 2022 as well, about the difficulty with childcare and the provision of childcare services. And before Christmas, three services closed in Cork. Um, announced they were closing and closed at the end of December. They were all branches of Ray of Sunshine. Uh, a company founded by Amanda Spiteri and she had to close her facilities in Clohine, in Dripsy and in Kilmurray. Um, she's also had to close some of her services up the country in Wicklow and Dublin. And it's all down, Amanda, to this, we've heard so much about it, this core funding model, which 
small providers, medium-sized providers have all stood up and said, will the government please listen? It's killing us. Good morning. Good morning. And that is it, isn't it? This is what has killed your businesses. Core funding. Yeah, core funding and the policies that they're implementing with core funding. And um, we actually pulled out of core funding um, for school age only services after the first year because the funding was 55 cent per child per hour. And um, we weren't we were stuck in historical fee freezes, which is one of the huge aspects of um, older creches and older services struggling that we're stuck. If you remain in core funding, you're stuck in uh, fees that are. Um, out of date and not in line with inflation and then being underfunded on top of that. And what actually happened with these services was um, we were being told that we must do, um, and anyone in business will know that this is um, ridiculous, really, uh, a second set of accounts um, backdating it that doesn't fall in line with our own end of year um, for a core funding department to have to gather data. Um, and even though we were only in it for one year, they wanted us still to complete it. And that would give us an extra cost of 30000 Yeah, I'm just um, looking at this top. here. There's, the, I, there's a note attached here from your accountants, I'm assuming. Yes. Going yes. through the detail of what would be needed to comply with core funding requirements. And it would put an yes. additional an additional cost on your business of nearly 30000 Yes. And yeah. we're already affordable care. We were four and five euros um, per hour ad hoc, um, and we were on 55 cents um, per child, um, which was approximately each service was getting about 13 euros and some cent uh, per hour funding to to pay for all the additional costs involved. So we we had to make a, a decision, um, and we're ne- we were never one of those companies that were big high profits anyway. Uh, standalone services like school age only um, and the Eki services are the ones that are really struggling. Um, and so to put on top of this is extra charge. Then they came back and said that they would, um, they're looking at it again. But unfortunately we were told that if we didn't comply, um, that all our NCS nationwide for all our services and any other funding would be paused, God. which would close every single service. So basically we were threatened as yeah. far as I'm concerned, because now, I saw the letter that That's you sent to parents. Uh, you had no yeah. choice. You had no choice in no. this. How did parents, I mean, I know that parents have now had to get other options and some of them might even have had to quit jobs or put work on hold. Yeah. How did they respond? There was a mix. Um, a lot were very upset with me, um, but I literally, I couldn't do any more. You know, I can't survive on air myself. I was on a continuous and not taking an actual wage myself. And that could only go on for so long. Um, We were going to put our rates up slightly again in the new year, but the nail on the coffin was the extra 30,000 that we would have to, we still have to find it. We um, have to find it sometime between January and April um, to please um, the core funding department. Just for bookkeeping for the government. Yeah, they want to itemise where every single cent went. Um, I don't know how much use one year of us being in core funding will actually do for that type of analysis, because really you'd need the whole full cycle, which I tried to to convey, um, but bureaucracy, you know, wins yeah. in the end. Yeah, I've spoken many times with Elaine Dunn um, from the yeah. Federation, and Elaine and others are of the view that in actual fact, there's somebody somewhere in the department 
who wants little businesses like yours to close. Now, that would be a horrible thing to think, but there are people who think it. Oh, I I agree. I 100% agree. Uh, the government have the power to, to make changes, and they're not. Um, they're using wording like unwarranted, um, and, you know, that, that comes with almost that we're, we're being deceitful, which I find extremely um, unprofessional wording to use, and it shows just how what a what a uh, distance there is between us and almost that they deliberately want to make it that we're being dishonest about what's going on when we're not. And that, that's a deflection. Um, I truly believe that um, th- they want to bring in a public model. That's fine. But they also want then these smaller services not to be around yeah. Uh, when, in, in my opinion, I have no proof of this. I no, nothing. No. It's and just you, my and opinion. I, and everyone who says that always says the same thing. I have no proof of this, but this is how I'm looking yeah. at it. Because if you okay, many people have said, "Well, bring the early years in under the public system and fund it like you fund other branches of education," and that's all very fine. But in the meantime, in the meantime, p- people like you are coming under extraordinary pressure. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like there is services who were changing their business model to not take school age, to only take children from one years to six years, because that really is where uh, core funding shines. And um, we um, are going to start having to look at uh, either changing our business model, which kind of breaks my heart because um, I started uh, in, in, you know, in a in Wicklow town ten years ago. And um, I always made it a business that was never going to be one of these high profit. It was always going to be an ad hoc, uh, which they tried to fight us against as well, having an ad hoc service. It wasn't suiting NCS. We, we kind of overcame that obstacle. Um, so we were making it really geared for flexibility and affordability for parents. But that mm-hmm. doesn't fit the core funding model. Yeah. Your own story, actually, Amanda, but looking into it, your own story is interesting. You started this because you were threatened with eviction. Yeah, well, yeah, I was evicted from that place. So I was a single mom and they were saying that they were selling the place. And um, I was a bookkeeper, actually, traveling to Dublin from Wicklow. So I was traveling four hours a day at minimum. Anyone who uses uh, the bus serves in Wicklow knows that that's, that's a good day. Um, so I, I had to come up with a plan. I had a background in early years and I um, started childminding. Um, and then from there, um, a year later, um, I had found finally at the last minute, found somewhere to live with my daughter. And a school um, gave me the opportunity um, to open an after school. And within a year of that, I was in three after schools because my model works. It works for for staff, it works for parents, it works for children. But unfortunately, now that model is being crushed because it doesn't work with uh, core funding. How many branches did you work up to? Uh, 14. Wow. Yeah, now we're down to nine. Eight, actually, eight. It must gut you to your core Amanda, to think having worked so hard to build a little business for yourself and then because the government has such a set of rules that you need to comply with, you're having to close down your perfectly successful little business. Yeah, 100%. I suffered heart pains, um, sleep, many a sleepless night, um, just uh, emailing them on Sunday mornings because I hadn't been able to sleep all weekend, begging them to listen to reason. And you just get a generic 
email back. You can hear my voice. I can, I can. And I've spoken to many like you here locally and we're well familiar with this story on the opinion line because we've covered it almost incessantly now for, for 18 months. And I've listened to your voice and the voices of others and the same people saying the same thing. And you have a minister up there, Minister O'Gorman, who either doesn't seem to want to know or doesn't care. Either one is not a good option. No, and I don't actually think um, he is the full decision maker in all of this. I think it's the policy team who are on a mission. They they have a policy to create. They have a policy to fulfill. And there's anyone in the way uh, is getting crushed. And that's what I actually feel is happening um, from a political and a policy point of view. I feel it's a policy train and the children as well will suffer because yes. there'll be no choice left. Yeah. Well, if you, you know, children, that's, children that's will suffer because they'll have nowhere to go. Parents will suffer because yeah. they have to give up work or take time off yeah. work, which will invariably yeah. affect women. Yeah. At a time when we're supposed yeah. to be doing more for women in the workplace, many women will have to leave their workplace and go back minding their children. Yeah, and how and and then the 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 choice of so with public services, um, and no disrespect to the healthcare system, but it's it's there's a lot of waiting lists, there's a lot of form filling, there's a lot of voice lost of the public. You don't want that happening in childcare. Uh, you really, really can't have that happen in childcare. And I I have worries with the public model. I really do. Why? But apart from that, the uh, because of the bureaucracy involved with all the form filling and all of that sort of stuff, that parents will lose their voice in all of this. Now they have services that we are over-regulated, but everyone has a voice. Everyone's involved in, in that. Because when people say over-regulated... That will be lost in when, all of this. Yeah, when people say over-regulated, another thing, having spoken to a provider maybe a year ago, we don't get it, do we, the amount of regulation that's there already without this on top of you. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a huge, 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 huge. And the paperwork, like, worked since CS uh, came in. I have to work every Christmas, every Christmas morning. Um, I've asked them to change how they do, uh, it's called returns for NCS, because we open Sorry, up, you oh, have to work Christmas. on Christmas morning. Why? Because um, of what's called NCS, the National Child Care Subsidy, um, is a thing called returns, which you do when, when you register the children that they've attended each week. And I've emailed them and said, can you not do it the Friday before Christmas? Because the kids will be attending. You know, they're allowed under attendance anyway for a certain amount of time. And I kind of, the first time I asked, I kind of was laughed at. And that was on a call to to Pubble. And then there was an email sent, oh, you can delay it by a week. But it means that we're not paid by a week, which means that our, our payroll is affected. So every Christmas morning, I have to wake up for the last three Christmases. And I have to go on the computer. And I have to log in. And I have to go into every school, check every child's attendance, uh, click it on to make sure that it's all up to date. And then fulfill it. That takes me about two hours. On Christmas so, Day? Yeah, yeah. So there, there's no real care for for us, the providers, the managers, the staff on the floor, that we have to fulfil things outside of regular hours. We, and, we and have no that, right, the right to switch off doesn't exist. I'm, I'm just going to so focus I, on this for a second. And because you're having to get up on Christmas morning because of the way the yeah. thing is structured. You must do it on that date. Yeah, or we must wait a week later and be and and be paid a week later, which uh, no small business can do that. Good Lord. I have to pay my staff. Yeah, 
That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, yeah. Well, I trust me, I don't like it either. You know, and every bank holiday as well. If a bank holiday falls on a Monday, um, and we have to do we do our returns on a Monday, it starts at midnight on Sunday. The t- clock click- ticking for us to do our returns. Um, so it's done in time for for us to get paid. But yeah. So so when we were frying sausages and opening presents last Christmas morning, just a couple of weeks ago, yeah, you were sitting on the computer doing paperwork. Yes, while well, my daughter waited uh, for me so she could open her presents with me. Ah, God, that's ridiculous. Amanda, my, my heart goes out to everybody in your sector and what they're trying to do. Yes. This is an election year. We have local elections. We have European elections. We might even have a general election at some point late I this hope year. So. Do yeah. you think anybody will listen about this? I, I worry that um, there's so much information to absorb that not everyone is grasping what's happening and slowly but surely choice is being taken away Um, and I worry that in the next two, three years it will be too late I worry that a lot of um, experienced providers who are the risk takers in all of this, who are investing their own money, who are the people who have to make the con- or the decisions not to take a wage to keep the services going, I worry that they'll all have left the sector and there'll be a lot of experienced people gone and who won't return because um, of the trauma that is being inflicted on us at the moment. I leave it there. Amanda, I wish you well. I hope I hope things improve for you and I'm sure that your your clients and the families in Thoheen and Dripsy and Kilmurray will miss you badly. Miss your service yes, badly. And we miss them. We do miss them. We really do. We miss the team especially as well oh. and the children. Yeah. yeah, how many how many jobs were involved here? Just Um there was eight jobs in total. So that's so eight jobs gone. Eight jobs gone. Eight families with gone. a wage gone from that family. Yeah. yeah. Because of yeah. government paperwork. Yeah, the demand and we just, we couldn't, even if we tried to fight it, it would mean that every single service, our funding would be stopped. So that would mean a lot of people with no wages. So we're kind of, yeah, back against the wall. All right. It's going to be a big issue in 2024 in an election year. Amanda Spiteri, proprietor of Ray of Sunshine, which in itself is a fantastic success story. She started it after getting evicted from her home, started it to build a better life for herself and her daughter built it to 14 services around the country, including a couple in Cork, three in Cork. And now she's having to shut them down one by one because, and think about this, right? The, the bookkeeping requirements for this core funding. I have a letter that she sent into us that she got from her accountants, having gone through the books and gone through what it would take to comply with what the government needed would put an extra spend of €30,000 on her business. 0818 96 96 96. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know if it makes sense to you. The Two Grand Minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. I'm in love with the money. Answer 10 questions in 60 seconds to claim 2,000 euros. 2,000 euros. The 
two grand minute. With Cork Dental Care, you'll be all smiles when you see their treatments with Invisalign at CorkDentalCare.ie. Lorraine and Ross in the morning. Money. On Cork's 96 FM. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 yeah, a couple of people looking for help with a few things. Childline is looking for people who can volunteer four hours a week. Their Cork office is open on Sunday, Monday or Tuesday. And Childline volunteers, of course, play a vital role in helping to listen to the children of Cork. If you can help, you can contact Regina uh, at 87 You will be trained in how to be a Childline volunteer 0879860347 and you'll be speaking to Regina if that interests you. Something else, and if there's one thing I fear in in health, it's motor neuron disease. I lost a dear friend to it. We're all watching. Poor old Charlie Bird uh, in his suffering from it. But it's an awful thing. It's a horrible, relentless bugger of a disease. And Carol Swan um, lost her brother Tony to MND in March of 2019. She's starting a support group in Cork for people who've lost somebody to MND or for someone, for people who are living with a sufferer at the moment. It's the, the, for the loved ones of people suffering from MND. And you can contact her on caroldrummy at gmail.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-D-R-O-M-E-Y at gmail.com. caroldrummy at gmail.com. If you are the loved one of someone with motor neuron disease, indeed, you've lost someone to motor neuron disease. I don't think there's a more horrible thing um, out there. It's, it's just my view. Maybe there is. I don't know. Oh eight one eight ninety six. 96, 96. I got those statistics that they had in the news about fixed charge notices and all of that. Cork City and County in 2022 had uh, 22,420 odd people were fined for speeding in 2022. Last year, that number was down a bit. Down almost 50%, in fact, which that's good for Cork. But these figures are to hand after the leader of Entu, Padder Tobin, said that, have you noticed the increase in road deaths versus the number of guards involved in roads policing? And that is down. That is down. There's a huge no- number of the reduction in the number of guards in, in road policing. And so far this year, eight people have lost their lives on the road. Eight people in, what is this, the 9th of January? So eight people in nine days is almost one person a day dying on the roads. That would be catastrophic if it continued, and we hope that it we hope that it won't. A woman in her fifties last evening in Sligo, but it, it it led me back to a text we got yesterday, um, which I didn't get to read at the end of the show, which further led me back to what I'm going to play for you here. I'm worn out, says this texter who doesn't leave their name. I'm worn out from hearing politicians waffling about road debts. Texting and driving is the root cause, and it's rampant. Put drivers caught texting in jail, and road deaths would drop. Accidents resulting in death, the worst thing can happen on the road, but there's one thing even worse, that is a road death 
which was totally avoidable, but happened not because of a genuine accident, because of some idiot texting while they were driving. They should be jailed for stupidity, anyone caught texting and driving, which is a very strongly worded message. But it brought me back to last July when Dr. Jason Vandeveld was into me talking about road safety. Dr. Jason Vandeveld has seen it all when it comes to road accidents. He goes out to them in the middle of the night. He's the emergency doctor, one of the best in the country. And he was in to tell me about road deaths and the fact that there was a surge and there was a blip. And the subject of mobile phones came up. Some of my worst memories, and it's, it's truly distressing to arrive at a mangled car with a young person who has been seriously injured or worse, still holding onto their mobile phone with that frantic friend still on the video call. That, PJ, is what haunts me. Oh, God. What I'm hearing from you is that the mobile phone is one of the most dangerous things ever to happen to driving. There's no question about it. Well, there's a man who knows and agrees very well. Our text from yesterday. So there's a question for you this morning. Should people caught texting and driving be either put off the road or maybe even jailed, as our correspondent thought? I'd love to get your views on that at 0818969696. On a brighter note, have you done anything for the new year? Um, I've kind of decided to clean my act up a little bit, as in it's my birthday next weekend, and after that, I'm going to try to eat a bit better and and sort of steer away from the pints for a while anyway. Um, maybe for a few weeks at least. Uh, just for myself, not for anybody else, but... There's a lot of people taking up new things. Sea swimming crack. Like, I'm sorry, it's January and it's Cork. No effing thank you. I'm sorry. But there's also cold dunking. Like, chucking yourself into iced water. Dance classes. People taking up the tango. So, instead of giving up something or resolving to do something, we're taking up a new hobby or a new pastime or doing something that makes us feel better with or about ourselves. Are you doing that in interesting? Have you come up with the maddest idea yet for 2024? Is there anything that you're doing that you'd like to tell us about? And certainly this sea swimming thing. I'm sorry, I, when I go down and I see it, and I know my, <laughs> my godson is at it at the moment. I think, oh, you... The very thought of going down... To Fountainer and going into the water on the 9th of January. I'm, there's, there's bits of me shrinking even thinking about it, lads. But a lot of people are doing it. Oh, wait, 1 8 96 96 96. Listen to Quartz 96 FM on your smart speaker. Play. Press play and step to the beat. Simply say, play Quartz 96 FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Quartz 96 FM. A lot of people leaving Ireland for foreign parts at the moment. Big day for the Coogan family tomorrow. Her Gemma heading off to Australia to seek her fortune for a year anyway. But a lot of people also come on back. Louise O'Leary has come back from Singapore with her husband and uh, two small boys, having been out there for 
I think about ten years. How long are you back? I read about this. I read about Louise in, in in the Irish Times, and I wanted to talk to her about the things that came up in that article. Louise, how long are you back? Good morning. Hi, we came back in September 2022, so we're nearly back a year and a half now. Okay. So, talk to me first of all about having gone there in the first place. You qualified as an occupational therapist, I think, and then it was just that's where the job was. Yeah, um, so I went to Trinity College um, and they actually have links with Singapore for furthering the education of the students in Singapore yeah. and the occupational therapy students. So they actually came to my university and did interviews um, while I was still studying my final year. So I just said I would do it for the practice of an interview for the experience. Um, I really didn't have any intention of going, but then I did get offered the job and it was quite a good opportunity. Mm. Um, and that was back in 2012. And the health service then didn't have a lot of opportunities for new grads, new graduates. Um, a lot of us did have to immigrate. You know, a lot of people stuck closer to maybe the UK or things like that. Um, but yeah, so I just decided to try it for two years. So there you are in a place that most of us only know by name. And how did you find it? I guess with moving to any country, like I had never been there. Um, luckily, I had a, a kind of an acquaintance who had moved a year before me there. So I knew someone on the ground. But it was a big shock. I guess the first year was very highs and very lows. Um, and then after that, it kind of just settles into a rhythm. I think when you read about Singapore before you go, even I remember reading up about it and some of the rules and you're like, oh, my God, it's going to be very strict. You know, what kind of life am I going to have there? Um, but it's actually not like that at all. It's very easy to live there. And, you know, once you follow the rules of any country, you're OK. Yeah, yeah, there are some strict rules. But like you said, once you follow them, then, then that's OK. We also hear tell Louise that it's expensive. I guess it's like any major city um, and it is what you make it. Like if you want to live in the nicest apartment with the fanciest um, kind of facilities, yeah, you're going to pay more for rent. Um, so in my first year, we actually did live in there's kind of either condominiums or then the, they're called HDBs. They're kind of the local flats, yeah. um, which which other people can rent as well. You don't have to be Singaporean to have them. You just have to be Singaporean to own them. Um, yeah. So like my you can actually get quite affordable rent, you know, if you look around. That was at the start, I guess now in the last year, it has really like since I've left, it has shot up a lot in terms of rent. But that's kind of across the world, even in Ireland and Dublin. Um, but, you know, I would pay in terms of like euro, maybe 800 euro for a room for a month in my first few years. Would that be an apartment now or a room within an apartment? A room in an apartment, yeah. Okay. So, like, it was just we had a two-bedroom apartment, me and my friend. Okay, okay. Um, and we lived there, you know. So, you pay more than that in Dublin. That was when I moved there first. And then, obviously, inflation a bit. But it was always kind of, it's if you can live within your means. Yeah. And I think in terms of, like, taxis are way more affordable than in Ireland. Eating out, again, you can go to the really expensive restaurants or you can get something really affordable for four or five euro, a whole dinner. So, and the same, like alcohol is kind of seen as quite expensive, but again, it depends where you go yeah. and you kind of get used to it after a while. The culture of the place, they're big into fitness and very modern in, in terms of transport and stuff like that. Yeah, the trans their public transport system, system is amazing. You actually don't need a car there. Um, so the negative is cars are very expensive. You have to almost ballot for a license to own a car. So that can cost you 30000 40000 before you even buy the car. Crikey. Um, and then you, you can only keep it for 10 years, like the license. So cars are all very new. 
but you you can get around very easily with the public transport. It's always on time. If it breaks down, you know, there's buses that are put on to replace the trains or, you know, there's lots. Um, you're not just stood on a train waiting for it to arrive. So the public transport is really good. The culture, I mean, again, there is a fitness culture, but it's um, they don't like to walk places because <laughs> it's too hot. They quit say Orchard Road is the main one of the main kind of shopping roads. And I'd be like, oh, we'll walk from the bottom to the top. It's about two and a half kilometers. But a lot of people wouldn't. It's too, you know, it's too hot. <laughs> it is very hot, is it? Very hot and humid, I think. Uh, it's hot and humid, yeah. Like, I, it wouldn't really drop below 30 degrees too much. Whatever. Uh, yeah, like, I think 27 is low. But you get a lot of rain. There's, like, the rainy season and the dry season. So it could rain every day, massive thunderstorms, but not all day, like in Ireland. Not that drizzle. Um, but yeah, your body adjusts. It's amazing. Like you really do adjust. Yeah. Um, you know, when I moved first, I found walking on the street hard. But then, like after a year, I was able to run, not in the middle of the day, but in the morning. <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. I understand. And then you met you met your partner. I did. That changed the trajectory <laughs> of the plans. Um, yeah, he he is Singaporean. He'd actually been living overseas in Australia, um, and he was kind of back for a few months. Um, and we met. I was about ha- maybe five years in. I think, yeah, we we know each other seven years now, so must have been about five years in. You you were thinking of packing it in or moving on somewhere else at the time, were you? I was. Um, I I guess I moved when I was twenty four, and at, in my twenties, I always thought thirty was the big milestone. So by thirty, I wanted to be kind of gone and settled somewhere else. Um, I didn't plan on staying so long, but I changed jobs after my first kind of year and ten months, and then I really did like my job. I was working with kids. Um, but I did want a new challenge. You know, a lot of my friends had been moving on. Um, but then, yeah, when, then I met him and we kind of, he was thinking of moving back to Australia. I was thinking of leaving. So we both just decided to kind of stay and see what happened. <laughs> How did the decision come about then to come back to Ireland? Had he ever been here? Um, he came, he's been, tw- he came twice before we moved here. Um, he came 2018, I think that Christmas or 2019, yeah, 2018 Christmas. Um, and then we had our wedding here in 2021. Okay. So he'd been here twice before we moved. Um, I guess when we met, like I always said, I didn't want to stay in Singapore forever for a number of reasons. Like love it, but didn't want to stay there forever. Mm. Um, so he was kind of always open to moving country as well. We kind of looked between Australia and Ireland, but Ireland was a bit easier to mm. start. Um, yeah. So then we just decided we'd do a, a trial of a couple of years. I asked for five, but I got negotiated down to three. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so you're giving it a blast for another year and a half at least. Now, in the piece in The Times, Louise, you pointed to things that you think that is utterly mad. Talk to me, for example, about the difficulty with getting driving licenses, getting insurance. Start at the start. And the visa or your husband's visa. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I um I guess how the article came about as well was just they were looking for submissions from people who moved back. Um and we are very happy to be back. It was a decision we made, but there are very challenging parts to it that I thought other people should be aware of. You know, I feel like if we had known in advance some of the things, then we could have done things a bit differently. So luckily we are legally married, so he's entitled to a visa automatically. Right. Um it was just the experience of getting it was very negative, like trying to get an appointment with my immigration officer um, and then just bring, I had all the paperwork. I'm a very organized person, so I had everything ready. So we had our appointment for three days after he landed and basically he needs this visa so he can work Yeah, and become kind of formal here, but he can stay here for, I think, 60 or 90 days before that. But, you know, we wanted to get set up. Um, and yeah, she was just, she was really kind of inappropriate in her comments 
Um, you know, she basically said things like you're doing very well for people who landed here three days ago. And how have you organized all of this? And that was our first meeting with her. That doesn't sound very welcoming. To me, like I'm Irish, my husband's entitled to be here. And bear in mind, I was six months pregnant, the first appointment, you know, <laughs> like mm. she could clearly see like that I had come back pregnant, you know, and I am Irish and, and my husband speaks fluent English. So at least he could advocate for himself if he needed to. But um, it kind of made me sad for like people who were more vulnerable. Then once the visa was, was done and organized, trying to get him stuff like a driver's license, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so you need, in Ireland, you need a PPS number to do everything else. Um, so for example, the PSC card came in since I left. Um, so we were trying to get a PPS number for him so he could apply for a bank account, for a mobile phone contract, for everything, um, to transfer, transfer his license over. Um, and the government won't accept his need to convert his license as a valid reason to get issued a, a PPS number even though he has the visa to be here. So, you know, it was like, a, it's a very backward system. So he has a visa that says he can work, but he can't get a PPS. Because he doesn't, you know, you, if, you have, if you have a job offer, you get issued your PPS, but he hadn't gotten a job offer yet. But, you know, you, need, you want to do a lot of things, to other things to set up in the country while he was job hunting. Yeah, so um, we, yeah, it took three, three months of chasing, trying to talk to local TDs and just basically resubmitting the paperwork. Um, so for me, it would make sense if you get issued your visa, your stamp for visa, which he has, then you should automatically be issued a PPS number. Yes. <laughs> it just means you can work here. So you should get the number. Um, and they have proven they can do it with other people that come into the country. They arrive, they get issued a PPS number on arrival. Yeah. So it's not that they can't do it. So it should just be part of the process. Um, you know, whether when you get issued that that residency card that you use that to get your PPS number because then he couldn't open a bank account and he couldn't apply for his conversion of his license and then eventually as well we had trouble with the converting the driver's license which took months to sort again like very inefficient process but it is sorted now thankfully good good what Um, what about your own driver's license had you difficulty with that or do you drive Oh, so I was driving before. This is partly my own fault. And my mother will say, I told you so. But I was driving in my 20s, but I didn't do my test before I moved away because I thought I was only going for a year or two. Um, Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'll do it when I come back. And then 10 years later. So I had to start the whole process from the start. Um, Again, I had no problem with that. I hadn't been driving for 10 years. Um, But you're meant to wait 10 to 12 weeks for a driving test. So, you know, if you've done your 12 lessons over the six months of your provisional, then you should wait another three months. But the waiting list was 48 weeks for a driving test. And so like that's really debilitating when you live in the countryside. You can't get out, you know, without a full licensed driver or, you know, luckily he could drive. But if he had, because he was able to drive on his foreign license at the start until he converted it. Yeah. But imagine if we both couldn't. <laughs> like, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do is right. And then car insurance was a shocker. I think his first insurance was two and a half grand, uh, two and a half thousand euro. Um, so because they won't take into account his, he's been driving since he was 18. They don't take into account any overseas experience any no claims from his time in australia his time in singapore um yeah so then obviously i knew i was going to pay a lot so i kind of had been prepared for that um but yeah so that that and even now he's on his second year it only came down 200 euro yeah so you know and like then people i get you know you build up your no claims but what if you have 15 years of no claims even okay you don't recognize singapore because ireland and singapore don't really have reciprocal things for driving but they do for australia Mm mm-hmm you know, um, they convert licenses easily and stuff. So why can't they account his four years in Australia? 
Um, and I, you don't expect handouts, right? You're not expecting that, but they, they want people to come back. Like we both have jobs that they do. Like we bo- I got, I had a job very easily healthcare and then he got a job when he was on the ground here. Um, it was impossible from Singapore, but he, he got a job once he was here and he had an Irish phone number. It was so much easier. Yeah. You're still glad you came back over. There are many positives I think you've discovered in, in moving back. Yeah. And I mean, even, I guess, any of the negative comments about the article, I think they didn't read the article um, because I actually never compared Singapore and Ireland in that in my in what I wrote or what I said. Um, I was never saying, you know, Singapore is better or it's the same. There's tough parts about living abroad anywhere. It's like we I always wanted to come home. I always wanted to try making a kind of a life as an adult in Ireland. Mm. Um, So obviously, when you do get access to the services in the healthcare, they're great. Like I had my kids here. Um, One of my sons had to have surgery when he was like small. He was only nine weeks old. You know, we were able to get him support that way. The vaccines for them are free. You know, there's a lot of supports for small kids. The free doctor's visits, I think, up until six. So, like, you don't have to worry, like, oh, are they sick enough? Can I pay the 56 euro to take them? You know, so there is a lot of ease in that way. Um, And then family. Obviously, family is the main reason I moved back. Have you a big family? No, I have one brother and my mom and dad are both around as well. And then I have my aunts and extended family. So like, it's just great having, having everyone around and the boys have them, like the kids, you know, the kids can see them and just even getting to spend time with them myself. Um, you miss a lot over 10 years as a choice, you know, it is a choice to move away, but you do miss things like birthdays and Christmases or, you know, events. Yeah. So it's really good to be back. I love the fresh air. I'm not living in a city. I'm in the countryside. I love the ability to go out for a walk. There's so many positives to move back. I guess the article was not to say I'm not happy. I didn't want to move back. Um, it was just to kind of put in black and white. It's very hard and they don't make it easy. To be fair, Louise, I wouldn't have gotten that impression when I read it. Uh, I, yeah. I, What I thought was this is an exposure of how difficult it can be to settle back or in the case of, of your husband to settle in. And it shouldn't be that difficult. No, I think and I think. It, especially since they want people to move back, there should be kind of, they should just think about changing things a bit. Yeah. You know, you know, you can issue PPS numbers straight away. Do it when they get the visa. I'm not saying give them it without the visa. It's not that. But if they get the visa to work, just give them the number if they don't have a job yet. You know, give them so, or, or do some supports for the bank accounts. Yeah. Stuff that should be simple. Let it be simple. Yeah. And like in Singapore, it was hard too. But like when I got my visa to work, I was issued the equivalent to a PPS number that I then needed for everything else. Like I couldn't open a bank account without that number there either. But I got issued it with my work visa. I see. And I mean, he's he's really trying. He is trying to integrate. Does he like it here? Um, He, he doesn't hate it, but it's very hard. It is very hard. Um, I think it's the, the making friends. You know, like Irish people are very friendly and welcoming, but they're not really going to go, hey, do you want to go for a coffee? You just moved here. You know, they all kind of have their friend groups and and they kind of get into into that. So it's usually people who have either lived away or traveled Hmm. that are more likely to kind of extend an arm of friendship. Yeah. Um, Which is fair. Like, it's not their job to make him (laughs) be their friend either, you know. But yeah, you you just find that difference. And I have a lot of Irish friends, like, from Singapore that have moved back. And they all say the same thing. Like, even moving back, you know, we'd have all made new friends regularly in Singapore. Um, But they, you know, I was talking to them them recently. And they're like, yeah, I've made one friend in the three years since I've moved back. One new friend, you know. So, yeah, it is hard. And I think... um, 
you do see a lot online of people that are moving back say okay so I moved back married and pregnant so it is different but single people moving back and then it's very hard for them to infiltrate kind of friend groups and make new friends and um, if they move to a different area than they're from or a lot of their childhood friends have left so it's not just us. I get the sense Louise that you don't see yourselves staying. Um, look, I would happily say I love Ireland. I am Irish. You know, I could see us making a decent life for ourselves here. But ultimately, if my partner like isn't happy, like if he only stayed for me, I think that would affect us in the long run. Sure. If that makes sense. You know, like he, if, I, if I dug my heels in and I said, I really don't want to leave, he wouldn't make us leave. But then I know he wouldn't be happy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's that's why we set a trial, you know, a couple of years, see if he can find more like he has a great job he's happy he has he's made a few friends good, good. he's going to play soccer you know it's not he's not sitting at home every night and we had new babies <laughs> like we had newborn twins for a year so that's really hard oh, in any country listen i'm a dad of twins and they're oh. tw- they're 26 now the first 26 years are the hardest it's just a bit of advice <laughs> i give you <laughs> um but yeah so no i think he's very open to trying and there's so many positives so it's just kind of seeing if it's for for the long run. Well, maybe if he's, if he's going playing soccer, he, he'll, he'll make friends there and, and that'll be great. Louise, best of luck to, to yourself and to Arif, isn't it, is his name? Arif, yeah, yeah Arif. And to, and to the two lads. Lovely talking to you. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks a million. Have a nice day. Bye. Cheers, Louise. Thank you. I, great that they're settling in. They've both got jobs now. But that nonsense with the fact that he was entitled to the visa, then he has to go chasing... PPS number and of course you can do nothing in this country without a PPS number. So that that seems unfair and it seems to happen very very slowly even for people who were fully 100% entitled to be here and as Louise makes the point, for others they get the PPS almost on arrival. So it's one rule for thee and the other for me by the sounds of it. Thank you, Louise. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion mind with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 Rob was listening to Louise talking about her husband trying to get his car insurance sorted here and even he had all these years of claims-free driving overseas, particularly in Australia, where he could actually prove it. Uh, No one was interested in taking into account. Rob says AXA insurance used to take foreign no-claims bonuses into consideration. They were the only ones that did it when I moved back. Maybe they still do. It did save me some money. Thanks for that, Rob. On using phones in the car, and the idea coming in from a message yesterday that a person caught using a mobile phone should be put off the road or if they're involved in an accident, they cause an accident, jailed. Kate says it's almost impossible to police this because there's so many at it. It needs a total change of attitude. And maybe they should check all the phones for recent use at road checks and after an accident like they do for drink driving. I can see in the future having any connected devices being banned. That's that's an interesting one though, Kate. That after an accident, that any mobile phones would be seized by the guards, maybe. Is that what you're suggesting? And checked for recent use. That is interesting. 
Thank you. 0818-96-96-96. Your, your suggestions are welcome. And also, I asked you a while ago, have you taken up anything new for 2024? Not a resolution as such. I don't think people do resolutions anymore. They just try to enhance their lives some way by bringing something new into their lives that, that they didn't embrace before. And they'll see how it goes. And if it doesn't go well, they'll drop it. But none of this, this old resolution stuff, I think it's a bit old hat at this stage. Any ideas, anything you've decided to do for yourself in 2024, for you in 2024 that you've never done before? 083 396 96 96. Now, last week we were talking about this uh, idea or this suggestion by the head of Commission Man, the, the media regulator, to insist that you'd need picture ID or a selfie to verify yourself before you get access to online porn. Talking to Ronan Murphy from Smartech, he was suggesting it's almost impossible to police it, almost impossible to do it. Brenda Parr is then writing about it in the Times. Uh, Brenda, Brenda, you reckon it is, not only is it almost impossible to do it and it's never going to happen, but We're probably trying to close the door here after the horse has bolted because any child who has a smartphone is already running rings around us. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the case. I, I, I mean, it's, it's a great suggestion. And I know that it has, you know, inflamed the kind of, oh, what about my privacy uh, brigade? But, you know, the the, the, the need really to, to curtail children's access to porn, is, it's, I think it's something adults actually don't understand yet. I mean, we're only scratching the surface of the harm that the kind of thing that they are seeing is doing to them. And, and, and there seems to be very little that we, we can or have any great will to do about it. And, you know, the, the, the response to this is going to be adults saying, oh, well, I'm in, I mean, I'm going to have to verify my age. I'm going to have to produce a selfie. I don't want to do that. Ergo, this is never going to happen. But the reality is children as young as eight and nine mm. are being given smart, smartphones, are buying them with their communion money. And you know yourself, the access that they have, or maybe you don't, and I, I, I can't say I do myself to any great extent either, but apparently the kind of things that they can see with a couple of clicks would not have been legal in this country a generation ago. Mm-hmm. Never mind that they are in any way healthy for, for developing minds. Well, you quote a 2018 survey done in the university in Galway where they found 53% of boys had viewed some kind of porn before they were even 13. And girls, I think a quarter of girls were as young as 10. And that was coming on for six years ago. So I I very much doubt that the situation has improved, Annie. Um, I mean, there should be some sort of verification. But I mean, I suppose that the fear is then, and this is what what people will say, that once you you require a selfie or once you require uh, passport verification to access porn, then what about social media? What about, you know, gambling sites, for example? Because at the moment, all they do is they just ask. As far as I can see, mm. are you over 18? You say, yeah, they go far ahead. Um, so, I mean, I think we sort of, we unleashed these smartphones on kids without having any clue or giving any thought to what the consequences might be. And I think we're seeing them across all manner of of, of childhood behaviours. I mean, 
you know, the, the, the experts would say that their attitude to, to sex, to one another, their expectations of, of, of what adulthood involves are so completely distorted that adults, you know, their parents don't even have a clue what what stress they are encountering at the prospect mm. of growing up. I mean, you know, there are some experts that would suggest that the fact that maybe there's been a 5,000% increase in, in young girls identifying as trans in the past 10 years since they first got their hands on smartphones suggests that that the prospect of growing up to be women and seeing what they believe may be expected of them on, on these awful porn sites is, is literally causing them to flee from their own wow. identity. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. There's a lot of research being done into all this at the moment, Brenda. So how do yeah. we, we're pa- parents, grandparents, you know, older siblings, how yeah. do we yeah. protect them and stop them? Or is it madness to say stop them getting at it? Well, I mean, some schools now. Uh, there is some. Uh, there, there's a proposal to 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 prevent or to ban, if, you, if that's possible, to do smartphones in schools. You see, parents then come in, and the teachers will tell you, principals will tell you, parents are the worst. They're the ones who come in and go, "Well, you're not taking my kid's phone for me. I need to be able to contact him." But you can also contact him on what are now being called dumb phones. You know, the old-fashioned ones yeah, where you blocks. could send a text or you could take a call. But I mean, whether or not they need 24-hour access to the dark web or the, the, the sort of the absolutely uncharted territory of the internet is another question. But it seems there's no great will on parents to take these things from them. And, you know, if it is true, and I think it was Pather Tobin of who said that he had, you know, parents of children as young as eight coming to him saying the kind of things they were looking at, you know, I better not say what they were looking at. Um, at we don't have to say, but you can all imagine it, yeah? Yeah, but alongside searches for Santa Claus were searches for very different um, uh, items. But anyway, um, what do you do now when these kids already have them? A lot of the harm is already done. And I think it's going to take an awful lot more to wake parents and and basically the educational authorities as well up to to the harm that this, this stuff is doing to them. Well, if you look at it, Brenda, confirmation season is April, communion season is yeah. May. Yeah. There will be yeah. smartphones given to kids of communion age, yeah. whether or not... No, no, like, you and me and the experts of the world are they're screaming into the wind. People, kids yeah. will get smartphones for their Holy Communion. It shouldn't be allowed, yeah, should it? And then, if hell, I mean, what do you do? You know, yeah. if parents wish to give them smartphones, that's a parenting issue. So maybe as parents, you need to enter to educate. But I, I don't think parents, you know, who who grew up in in a different era where porn was something very different, maybe, are not aware of what these kids can access. I mean, you know, s- sort of the beheading videos, that sort of thing is what they're looking. I'm not just talking about, you know, mainstream vanilla porn. They, they, they're they seeing some very scary, very damaging stuff. And, and, you know, they're clearly not talking to their parents about it. They can get it so in a few it's clicks. It's only when the harm... Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's only when the harm emerges that it, that, it, that they find out where, where, they, where they accessed it. So, I mean, I, I do not know what the answer is, because as soon as you say we're going to ban smartphones for under nines, there'll be war. Yeah. And anyway, how can you? Most homes have a laptop. Yeah. They've got a tablet. Yeah. Um, that horse, that horse has long internet. since bolted. Yeah, I think it's afraid it is. Yeah, I'm afraid it has, unfortunately. Yeah. It's a problem. And coming into the springtime... It's spring a gloomy prospect. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there was something else came out. Um, I saw it in, in, in The Independent. Um, new research about looking at your phone at work can be good for you rather than bad for you. And less less stress... 
but I mean, does that not suggest, you know, is that not chicken and egg stuff? Is it because when you take phones off people in work, they exhibit more stress because they are so welded to their phones that they cannot possibly imagine existing without them? That's what I took from that survey. They've less stress because they get their phones back. Yeah. Because they can't exist without them. You know yourself, you go out for a walk and you realise you've left your phone behind. You feel like, well, the world could end and I won't know about it. I mean, we are all so welded to our phones that people do become stressed if they're separated from them. And we're, and we're not even digital phones. natives. No, indeed. No, indeed. Mm. Not. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but seriously. But I mean, it's amazing how, 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 how quickly you adapt to it. Do you know, I sometimes find myself, I'm looking at a photograph in a newspaper and I can't see it clearly, trying to expand it with my fingers on paper. Yeah. I mean, this is how <laughs> yeah, used we have become to this to the, to these facilities. So I suppose we're all digital native now, right? Yeah. Well, it's fine. I was talking to my daughter last night, and she's she's heading away for a year, and I'm so delighted for her. But she says she wants to read more. She she used to read an awful lot as a kid, yeah. and 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 she doesn't read. And I said, well, why don't you read? You used to love reading because she said, I'm reading two pages, and then I'm grabbing my phone to see my missing anything. Yeah, she's very honest yeah. about it. Yeah. I, I know. I think that survey also found that people look at their phones like a hundred and fifty times. Oh, the worst thing ever happens: the screen time report. Do you get your screen time report on a Monday morning? I do. Yeah, I do, and it's it's often very um, disproving. Your time has gone up, or you know, you you spend more time, you wasted more time, and it is amazing. And I mean, I know myself. I'm sitting at my desk, and I want a distraction. I pick up my phone, see if anybody texts me. Is there anything new on on WhatsApp? It is. You know, it, it's. If 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 you if you are separated from it, you, I can understand why people suffer stress. So yeah. you know, once they give them back their phones, at least they know they're not missing out. This was a big company who at one point banned the use of personal mobile phones yeah. in the workplace, and then unbanned it and found that there was less stress when they unbanned it. Yeah, yeah, because they were stressed without their phones. <laughs> Where, what has come, what what has become of us, Brenda? Thank you very much, Brenda Power, a columnist at the uh, Sunday Times. The thing about porn, though, and it, you know, the it, it it brings me back to a conversation that I had ah a couple of months ago, and I don't want to bring up the whole library protests issue again, but then again, I've just done it. I was talking to someone who had, shall we say, a modicum of support, a little bit of support for the library protests. And he asked me, PJ, have you seen the book they're protesting about? I had, of course, seen the book that they were protesting about. But I asked in return, I said, okay, do your kids have mobile phones? Yeah. I said, they'll see more on that mobile phone than they'll see in any book in any library. You see? Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Brenda makes valid points. You know, we, we, the whole mobile phone, I remember getting my first mobile phone. It was like a rock. A huge thing. And I remember getting my first smartphone and thinking, this is weird. Now, the phone is an office. I can record on it. I can do video on it. I can file my entire day's work on it. I can plan tomorrow's program on it. I can pull up something from a, a program six months ago on it. It, it is my office. It's, it's permanently attached to either my hand or my arse pocket. How do we become so dependent on the things? And this is what Brendan is making the point. The commissioner man can say whatever he wants about accessing porn 
and put whatever regulations it wants in the way of accessing porn. But the fact about it is the kids are already at it. The kids already have it from the age of eight. Monkey see, monkey do, says Kate. Parents are on their phones all the time too. You can't expect kids not to watch these things because they all share pictures and videos, which is an excellent point, Kate. An excellent point. If we are complaining about the kids being on their phones too much, well, we should be putting down our own phones and putting away our own phones. You're so right. You're 100% right. 0818 96 96 96. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Your afternoon soundtrack with the biggest tunes from your favourite artists, plenty of giveaways and all things Cork from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Anytime we talk about animal cruelty on this programme, I, I always make a point that I don't understand it. I have four, yeah, no, we have four little pets in Coogan Terrace, two cats and two dogs, and if anybody harmed a hair on any of their tails, let alone their heads, I would do time. I cannot abide animal cruelty, and I can't understand where it comes from. But according to the ISPCA, it is on the up. Big time, and frighteningly so. Uh, Huge numbers of dogs surrendered, huge numbers of cats surrendered, and and some terrible stories out there. Caroline Faherty is their inspector in Cork and joins me now. Caroline, as I said, I come to this from someone who cannot understand how you could hurt an animal. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Yeah, well, I can't understand how anyone could hurt an animal either. But unfortunately, we have seen um, a sharp increase in in the last year, uh, the amount of um, dogs and cats that we've had either seized or surrendered um, due, due to cruelty. So um, I think we we took in an extra almost fifty percent increase in dogs last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we would always try and work with owners as much as possible, but obviously, you know, there are certain situations where we have no choice. We have to take the animals, so we would either seize the animal. Or we would give the owner the opportunity to surrender that animal. Mm. And um, last year, between January and November, we had an almost 50% increase in the amount of dogs seized and surrendered and 44% increase in the amount of cats seized or surrendered, which is a huge, huge jump. We had a huge surge in ownership of dogs in particular, I don't know about cats, during the pandemic. And then afterwards, people went back to work and, and the, the poor old dog was neglected. Some of them were surrendered and surrendered nicely, kindly to a, to a shelter. Some were just abandoned. Some were just abandoned, yeah. And I suppose it's, I suppose it's kind of been almost like the perfect storm. Everybody wanted a pet during COVID because everybody was home. Everyone adopted dogs. Everyone got, or bought dogs and cats. So... The breeders, I suppose, made a fortune. The puppy farms made a fortune because there was such a demand. Mm. And then people went back to work and the dogs that were so used to having their owners with them at all times were left at home alone and got separation anxiety. So maybe started, you know, fouling in the house or chewing on furniture or other unwanted behaviours. And the owners just couldn't cope. I suppose we've also had a cost of living crisis. So everything has gone up in price. Um, Vets food, you know, everything has gone up in price in the last couple of years. A lot of people just can't afford it. Yeah. And unfortunately the 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 large breeders and the backyard breeders are still breeding. Yeah. 
it just doesn't help, you know. What kind of things you you, you talk about being a, a dog being seized or having to be surrendered? Like, what kind of things do you see, Caroline, in in ordinary homes where they would, you know, everything seems fine until you see the condition of the dog? Yeah, well, we see dogs that have been left to starve, that have had no food, um, dogs that have been left without veterinary treatment, which is a big one. So it could be even something as simple as the dogs have mange, which is easily preventable with a back and neck treatment. And you go and you see a poor dog with um, open wounds and sores and hair loss. Um, dogs or animals have injuries and the donors won't have brought them to the vets. Or it's just, or maybe just from pure neglect, you know, just from being left outside with no proper shelter, no proper food, that, you know, the animal is just the health of the animal has gone downhill because of that, yeah. you know. So th- there's uh, many, many factors. Um, we see lots of different things. We uh, we had a big case there last year uh, where we took 115 dogs out of a house yes. and they were all in crates um, stacked up on top of each other. Now the smell, like the feces and the urine, the smell of ammonia in the house was, my eyes did not stop watering. Like I'm, I'm quite good with smells, but I don't have a strong sense of smell. But we had to keep coming out of the house to get air because, it, you know, so that causes issues for the for the dogs. Standing in it can cause pododermatitis. It, you know, it gets into their lungs. It causes infection. It infects their eyes. So, you know, a lot of the time you see that. You, we get a lot of, um, taking a lot of animals that have had, you know, issues from being left in their own feces and urine a lot of the time. Even a, a dog that doesn't have a separate place to go to the toilet. That's so cruel. Well, that's so cruel because animals don't want to, don't want to defecate in their beds. You know, they don't. No matter what, like they don't they don't want they don't want to do that. You know, so yeah. you know, when they're kept in a confined space, they have no choice, do they? No, no. I mean, I, I even think of one of my little fellas, and he, he'll sit at the door and whimper. And what he's telling me is, "Dad, you forgot to let me out." I'm- Person, yeah. you know, <laughs> and they're very good at telling us what they want. You know, they're very good. I think a lot of times the dogs train their and cats train their humans, not humans training their animals. You know, yeah. But uh, yeah, unfo- but unfortunately, because this, as I said, we took in almost fifty percent more dogs last year. I mean, we didn't have the boarding facilities for fifty percent more dogs. We had to use private kenneling, which wasn't in our budget, mm. obviously, which is a huge additional cost. Um, we also increased our the case files that we submitted. For prosecution from 17 to 30 last year. So that should be 30 new cases that would be in court this year. Um, which is a lot of time. Like I spent five full days in court in December alone, which is a week, which that means that that's a week that I'm off the road, that I'm not following up on mm. animal welfare complaints because I'm in court. And I suppose with the court system here, you can go to court, you can wait there all day and then you'll find out it's been adjourned until another date and then you go there again and you find out it's been adjourned until another date and then you go and then you have to come back a few months or two later for the sentencing, you know, so... How, how strong is the law, Caroline? I know the Act is there for quite some time and it allows for quite hefty fines and even prison at times, but how strong is it? Is it, is it imposed by the courts? Um, I suppose, I think it's getting better I think uh, judges are taking a lot more seriously than they were and imposing, you know, bigger fines and, you know, longer sentences and stuff. Um, but, you know, personally, I, I prefer, like, I prefer if they were all just banned from keeping animals nonstop, which, which is in, in the judge's remit, you know, or like mm. if, they've, if, they've, if they've been cruel to dogs, just ban them from keeping dogs um, 
for the, you know forever and let that be the end of it. So if they do ever take it, you know, ever get a dog again and they're reported, we can just immediately take that dog off them and they're brought back up to course, you know? Yes, you can. Be. Talk about cats for a little while, Caroline, because I often sometimes yeah. feel that the poor misfortunate cat doesn't get as much respect as the dog. Um, cats are neglected too, and the worst thing you can do, I think, to a domestic cat is not neuter it. Uh, 100% uh, PJ. Um, unfortunately, we have a huge cat population in this country. Um, cats can actually start coming into heat from four to six months old. A female kitten coming into heat between four and six months old can get, can get pregnant around then. Um, some cats could give birth to, to two, maybe three litters a year. Um, unfortunately, and people have this thing where it's not my cat. You know, a cat comes along it could be a stray cat who's lost this way and somebody just starts feeding the cat, but they won't neuter it because they keep saying it's not my cat. Well, if you're feeding a cat every day, I'm telling you, that is your cat. It's your responsibility. Yeah. You've, you've taken on the responsibility <laughs> of the cat. So you, you, you've you've missed the memo, Caroline. You don't own a cat. Cat owns you. Owns you. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's so important to get your cats neutered. Um, as I said, they can get pregnant at a very young age. The cats can cats don't get a menopause, so they can keep having kittens to an older age, and they can have two or three litters a day. And unfortunately, um, you see more more kittens being born with cat flu. I have a little foster kitten here who had to get an eye removed because his cat flu was so bad, oh his eyeball basically exploded in his oh head. God, unfortunately, thing. Thing. Um, and he was extremely underweight. And now he's he's here now playing with a toy. You can probably hear it in the background. Um, but, like, he's one of the lucky ones. Yeah. You know, there's, there's thousands of kittens dying all over the country every year because of because of neglect, you know, and because people won't neuter their cats. And if there are stray cats or wild cats in your back garden or in your area, or community cats is what they're known as, they do a very important job of keeping rodents yes. um, awake. Absolutely. You know? And But if you cannot catch them, there are groups that do what is called TNR, Trap, Neuter, Return, Mm-hmm. So for a reduced fee, they will come out and they will trap the cats. They will have them neutered, have them health checked and will re- will return them back to the area. Um, these are all like small charities or even just small vol- volunteer groups that, that mm-hmm. do this, you know. Um, a lot of people will ring them, and but they don't want to pay anything. But like, you, you get nothing in life for free. Do you know what I mean? There, so there, there, there was a belief one time, Caroline, that you should let a female have one litter before you knew for her. Is that a myth? Wives tales. Yeah? Yeah, it's an old, old wives' tale. Yeah, it's an old wives' tale. Mm, now, we have one. Because you're, yeah. we, we have one, and she she actually had a litter because she was pregnant before we knew it. She was pregnant at eight months. And, and like... That's just interesting. She was a yeah, pregnant... We didn't even realise it. Mom. We didn't even yeah. realise it. So she had the kittens, and we, we, we rehomed them all. Um, and and yeah. we got her neutered quick smart, but like quick smart, yeah, because she <laughs> she she would have gotten pregnant again as soon as those, as those kittens were weaned. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it. So get the cats neutered, and the cat that comes into your back garden, that's your cat, whether you like it or not. Whether you like, and they're doing you a job. They're yes. doing a job for you. You know, they're keeping mice and rats and other. other other unwelcome visitors away from, away from your house, you know, and if you can repay them with feeding them and getting them neutered, mm. well then, you know, it's, it's better than... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm trying to get a, you know, rent a kid or something yeah. in a no, lot cheaper. No, exactly. Now, people will complain. They will complain that vets are dear. And they're not cheap, to be fair. No, absolutely not. But I mean, if you do keep an eye out, like a lot of the rescues, even a lot of the vets, especially around this time of year, January and February, a lot of vets will do reduced neutering um, for cats because this is a good time of year because the weather is cold, so cats won't be, usually won't be pregnant. Mm. Um, so a lot of the TNR groups will do a lot of their, their neutering around this time of year. And if you keep an eye out, or even if you, if you there's three or four cats in your back garden, you're like, God, I can't afford it to neuter three or four cats, maybe ring your local rescue and see if they can give you a voucher towards it or something off it or ring your local vet and ask them, you know, because some of the vets will do around this January and February will do reduced neutering for some cats. Not all vets will, but, you know, ring around and you might find Mm. one that will. And regard food, yes, food can be expensive, but not wanting to promote any particular supermarket, but the, the, the multiples, the Germans, they do they do, do what they call dupes of the big brands and they're damn good and they're half the price. And, and cats are carnivores at the end of the day. So, I mean, if you gave your cat a bit of leftover meat or chicken or fish or whatever you had, they'd, they'd like that oh, just as much and probably more. I'd like to set mine loose on a, on, a, on a chicken carcass anytime we have one. Uh, and I have one who'll steal the ham. She will steal the ham out of your sandwich while you're making it. So, you know. Yeah, I have one here that will do the same. <laughs> yeah. You turn your back. Around, you turn different. your back and your slice of ham is gone. Exactly. Caroline, I wish people were kinder to their animals because you know it yourself. There's no greater there's no greater joy than the love of an animal. Absolutely not. And I and then people I suppose an important message is adopt, don't chop. Yes. And I know people say sometimes, oh, rescues make it very hard. To adopt an animal, we don't make it very hard. Our aim is to find forever homes for our animals. So if somebody comes to us and they say, oh, my wife works nine to five and I work uh, eight to six every day and we want a puppy, we're not going to give you a puppy. No, because you're not uh, suitable. No, it's not, you know, it's not suitable. But we might have an older dog who'd be quite happy to have a walk in the morning and snooze away for the day or something like that. Or, you know, mm. like 
people usually have a certain idea of what they want, but our staff are highly trained. Our rehoming staff are very, very well trained. So they like to talk to people and kind of go, okay, this is what you think you want, but going by your lifestyle and your, your home life, this is what we think would actually suit you. Um, and sometimes people are like, oh no, that's not the kind of dog I want. But, you know, Obviously, we've we've been doing this for years, you know. So, and there's the thing, lastly, Caroline. We're quite good at matchmaking. You know, <laughs> you, we're quite good at matchmaking. Yeah. The wrong dog in the wrong house, or the wrong cat in the wrong house, that can lead to situations where you have to get involved down the line. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like a lot of time, people say they want kittens, but kittens can be quite destructive, you know, um, because they're That's running p- up and down curtains <laughs> putting and miles or whatever. Well, an older cat would probably snooze all day and be quite happy then when their owner comes home for, you know, to meow for the rub and a bit of news and sit on the couch and watch TV with them for the evening while a kitten would be tearing around the house like a racehorse or something, you know. And it's, it's the same with dogs. Like puppies need a lot of time. They need training. They need to be let out to the toilet nearly every hour um, yeah. in the beginning when you're toilet training them. While an older dog, you know, would probably go out in the morning, have a walk home, snooze for a day. If somebody leaves them out for lunchtime to go to the toilet, would be it would be happier. Um, some people decide they want a collie because they like to look for collie. But collies are very very active dogs, very both mentally dogs. and physically, and you, you need to have your wits about you to keep to keep up with them. Um, and if you have a sedentary lifestyle, it's not going to suit you to get a collie. It might suit you to get a greyhound or a lurcher who's a bit more sedentary as well, who go out and have a run in the morning, come home and sleep all day. But <laughs> getting a collie isn't yeah. going to suit you, you know? So yeah. that's why our staff are really good. We have, PJ, we now have hundreds of dogs in our care at the moment. We have a dog for everyone. We have old dogs, young dogs, mm-hmm. um, middle-aged dogs, small, medium, big dogs, you know, three-legged dogs, one-eyed dogs, you name it. <laughs> we yeah. have it, you know? Um, you know, some people might say like they always wanted uh, a husky type dog, but you know, a young husky too much. We have a few older huskies that are absolutely gorgeous, mm-hmm. um, who are just you know maybe that little bit older, seven or eight, are kind of slowing down a bit. So, you know, somebody who always wanted a husky but didn't want to walk ten k every day with them, <laughs> yeah. this dog could be ideal for you. You Great know, um, yeah, I think it's just important to talk talk to our staff and remember, like the staff are professionals. So we're, as I said, we're very good at matchmaking, and we do. We have we have hundreds of dogs at the moment. We have centres all over the country, so okay. we have hundreds of dogs at the moment. Adopt, so please uh, adopt, don't, don't shop. shop. You don't know, shop. you're getting dogs from. You're buying a dog online. You don't know where it's coming from. Like you know, I'm. I suppose from my point of view, I'm in and out of puppy farms. I see the lifestyle that the the adult dogs have in there. They don't have a life. Do you mm. know what I mean they're just they don't have a life? Yeah. Um, they're not socialised, and this will impact on the puppies. Maybe not all the puppies. Some puppies that come from puppy farms go into lovely homes and end up, you know, being perfectly fine dogs. But some don't, you know, and it's it's, it's a chance you're taking okay. while all our dogs are well assessed and, you know, the staff know them well and they know what kind of home they need. And so adopt us. All the rescues in the country are absolutely bursting with dogs, yeah. bursting with dogs. Like. You're not the first person to say that. Caroline, thank you. Caroline Faherty, Inspector in Cork for the ISPCA. Look them up and adopt, don't shop. And that old cat that comes in and takes the bit of food off you. That is your cat, whether you like it or not. They have decided. It's not so much that's your cat, is that it has decided you are its staff. The old story, great old story. Dogs have owners, cats have staff. Um, who's that? 
Oh yeah, I'm with you on that, PJ. We have to be their voices. I love animals more than love people. And I make no apologies for that. Animals have feelings too. Oh, they have. Oh, they have. I'll tell you stories there. Listen to Cork's 96FM on your smart speaker. Say. Simply say, play Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Weather update from Adam on a voice note. Morning, PJ. Good morning, the 96FM cast. How are you all doing? Adam, the truck driver here. Um, my kids didn't start school till 10 o'clock this morning. So um, as I went out to the car to clear the ice off it, there was no ice, but there was snow. Yes, I repeat that again. There was snow on the car. So it's not just snowing in the Sheepshead Peninsula. It's also snowing in Bandon. Crazy. Good man, Adam. Well, snow in Bandon in January wouldn't exactly be unprecedented, but I know what you mean. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be unprecedented for a drop of snow to fall in January. But thank you for that, Adam. Good man. The ninety six of M cast. I love that. I love it. Premier League Live back with you Saturday with Trevor Welsh at ninety six of M dot IE. From midday, powered by Talksport. Live coverage this weekend of Chelsea against Fulham, that's at half twelve, and Newcastle against Manchester City at half five, plus everything else as it comes in from around the grounds and the best of the analysis going. Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman. You're home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Now, there's a decision has been made by the HSE. They've done a deal with Afadia. That's that clinic. They're under the Elysian, if you like. The Elysian sits on top of it. The Afadia clinic. They have a, a walk-in emergency department. Mini ED, as it were. Uh, for the remainder of January, it's to take pressure off the other two big EDs in the city, the CUH, which is always jammed, and the Mercy, which is fairly busy too. Um, Dr. Chris Luke, this seems like a simple and wonderful idea, is it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah. Um, well, it's certainly worth thinking about. I mean, it, 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 there are obviously a number of... Uh, uh, interpretations and ideas that that, that, are, uh, that come come to mind when you hear this story. Now, in a, in a nutshell, from what I've read and heard, Aphidia, uh, which runs, as you say, an express walk-in clinic for relatively minor injuries. It's a bit like the local injury unit in uh, Grona Broher, uh, but it's private. Yeah. Uh, and they have, I, I gathered last week, offered to take all HSC patients uh, you know, for the for the next couple of weeks, or I don't know for how long, uh, to try and alleviate the the pressure on the Mercy and CUH, and, and as you suggest, um, it, it sounds like a good idea. And in fact, I was um, I was in, on a, in, engaged in a TV debate last night in RT uh, with, with um, uh, Minister Collins and uh, David Cullinan about the you know the, the difficulties in our emergency departments, and they were talking about the investment uh, in 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 services, for example, in, in Limerick, which has been in the news so, so much. Sorry, but now you have to forgive my 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 my, my puppy, the, okay. in, the new puppy. Um, now, basically. Um, uh, the my my point to them was they were investing. I said, a the investment has to be faster, 
uh, and B, it's not enough to have a, a state-of-the-art emergency department in CUH uh, or or its 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 cousin in in the, in the Mercy or or Limerick. You have to have other facilities alongside. I mean, the, the, the fundamental problem with our overloaded emergency departments, as I've said to you many a time, mm. uh, is that uh, they are increasingly the only portal of access. They're the only way in to the health health system for, for many, many people. And the, the, the situation seems to be worsening because of the growth in homelessness, because a lot of homeless people end up in places like the Mercy and many other inner city departments. I mean, you may have as many as four or five homeless patients brought a day to the Mercy. Mm. In, in my experience over the last couple of decades, you have uh, the growth in, in addiction and substance misuse, so they have a lot of that. Plus you have the fact that you seem to have a dwindling number of GPs, as many of the middle-aged and elderly, uh, you know, retirement people the age uh, GP single practice single handed ones retire uh, and it's increasingly difficult to get hold of a GP as, as, as many people know so the, the difficulty is that the, the, it, there cannot be just one portal of access so so we need facilities like Grown Abroher which as, as as you and I have, have discussed in, in the past uh, offers a, a fantastic service uh, mm-hmm. for, for the right sort of case I mean yep. you can be in and out of there within an hour an hour and a half with uh, your, your, your wound suture uh, or your your cracked wrist uh, pl- plastered and so on and many people enthuse about their experience yep. uh, up in St Mary's there so uh, I mean uh, my, my point last night on on the debate was that we, we need far more than just big fancy uh, you know well equipped emergency departments with, with resuscitation rooms and and flying squads we need the walk-in facilities and and the sort of step down emergency departments that are more like uh, they're, they're slightly less frenetic mm. and if you could to take away, subtract uh, the, the the walk-in, the ambulatory type of patient from places like CUH and Limerick and Galway, uh, I think, and many people believe that you, you'd have a much much better service because the staff and the patients in in these emergency departments would have more space, more privacy, more dignity, and there would be less overcrowding. And, and uh, the, you know, we we know, for example, that um, uh, overcrowding and delays in in in, in being admitted uh, lead to deaths. And the, yeah. the point I was making that was I was quoting a study from from the Journal of American Medical Association published in the last number of months that suggests that for every 82 patients who wait 12 hours in an emergency department, there's probably one excess death, one one avoidable death. But Chris, the very idea of someone waiting 12 hours is that's that's unconscionable. It's unconscionable, uh, PJ, but we've all read and heard in the last week or two of deaths in emergency department where young people with sepsis, old people with strokes, middle-aged people with respiratory problems and brain tumours have come to grief because of delays of 10, 20, 30 hours yeah. waiting on trolleys and corridors and so forth. So, you know, this, this, there's nothing new there. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know about. So one of the ways around the delays is to provide satellite facilities. I mean, they are absolutely vital. So, uh, so in, in a nutshell, it seems to me logical and likely uh, that uh, Aphidia, uh, uh, you know, being, in fact, I've, I've suggested that the FIDI have offered this, but I, there may. I, I also suspect that the HSC are, are remunerating them, but I, I just don't know. But in a nutshell, if some people can go to the to the to the FIDI Express, it seems to me likely that they will they will alleviate some of the pressure. Yeah. But you know, the problem with the, with this uh, PJ is that it's never entirely predictable, and the work that is done in hospitals, the work that is done in general practice, the work that is done in emergency departments is like a gas. It constantly expands. Yeah. To 
fill the space in the ball. It's the old thing, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it, it's one of the great mysteries, PJ, is that the more doctors, nurses, facilities we, we, we provide uh, for health uh, over the last 10, 20, 30 years, uh, the, the, the more the work grows. Take CUH as a prime example of, like you said, everything being funneled into it and the mercy. But take CUH, which, as you know, I have direct personal experience in the last six months. The night I went in, when I look back at it now, I was in an emergency and I needed to be looked after quickly. And I was. But then someone coming in who's gone over on their ankle playing football, they're going to wait for hours because yeah. they, they could be and down at Aphidia or up in the north, um, up, up in the, the old orthopedic. Yeah. 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 And, and, and as you know, PJ, I have been advocating for that for decades. And uh, I... I, I always say that you should be able to have, uh, you know, you, you, there's an old quip in medicine which says surgery is a kind of trauma by appointment. <laughs> and I've always say that you should have an, you should be able to have an appointment for your trauma. And my, my, my scenario is always the same. Suggest, you know, imagine you're, it's the summer, the height of summer, you're in Bantry. Uh, or you're in West Cork or you're in Yall and you have a mishap on the beach or on the streets uh, and you're faced with the prospect of, of, uh, of, of having to drive back an hour and a half or so to, to, to the city uh, to pitch up in the emergency department in CUA to the Mercy. My view, and we offered this uh, in the Mercy in the South and so on, um, where, where it was possible, was that uh, if you had a sprained ankle or a minor cut or a minor bump to the head, somehow you could make a phone call and make an arrangement to see a nurse practitioner or someone like me. I used to offer what's called fast tra- rapid access GP clinics. Mm. So, you know, the GP could ring or email uh, and I'd offer them a clinic uh, appointment within a day or two. And that patient with their ankle or their wrist or their minor bump or whatever, something that they could walk in and out of the emergency department with, was able to come to my clinic or the nurse practitioner clinic and be seen by appointment, be seen by an expert who'd seen many, many such cases and could make a quick decision without over-investigating Mm. overthinking it and avoiding admission very often unnecessary admission because mm-hmm. you know they, they knew what was going on treat it effectively and expeditiously and off you go and we need far more of that we need far more for, um, uh, 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 services where you, the, the patient uh, or, and or their GP can make an appointment to see uh, an expert in, in injury care or wound care yeah. uh, or you know emergency care uh, and that's I have that has to be part of the future. Yeah, There's no way you're going to clear out the, the waiting times at CUH or the Mercy if people are going there with, with stub toes and, and things like that. Question, uh, you, may or, you may or may not know this, but can people with medical cards avail of the situation at the Aphidia? That my understanding uh, from what I've read in the in the in the media is that uh, HSE patients, quote unquote, can turn up to the Fidia Express and basically tell the the people in the in Express Clinic that they are an HSE patient and they will be seen. That's according to uh, outlets like Corpio and so on. So uh, you know you, you may you may be well advised to ring in advance. But that's my understanding. At the end of the day, it is in the city centre. So worst comes to the worst. You can always go on up to Grona Broher or yeah. up to, to the Mercy, around, around to the Mercy. But, you know, um, PJ, uh, let's not lose sight of what is evolving anyway. 
It is the deep, uh, fervent wish of most emergency physicians and nurses and people involved that there is a hierarchy. There's a, a pyramid of care, mm-hmm. and at the very top, the apex is is a is an is a bill is a department like CUH. And you know something? Just park the moaning for a minute. I am incredibly proud of the evolution of emergency care in this county, this city, over the last 23 years. I believe that we provide uh, much of the care we provide, for example, uh, with uh, Adrian uh, and Connor and Hugh in East Cork and Jason in West Cork, some of the pre-hospital care is is, by, is, is of an international standard but compared with favourably anybody. And it, when it comes to really serious illness, uh, CUH, emergency department, does extremely well. The problem is that there are too many patients of less, what, what you might call, urgency or acuity. And ambulatory, the, the the walking, the walking wounded, wounded yeah. should be seen elsewhere for the sake of people who are on trolleys. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not being unreasonable. The, the reality is we need to have a, a, a priority, uh, the state-of-the-art department at, that, at the apex of the pyramid and people who are walking into two or three other levels of units, okay. such as uh, the wonderful service uh, run by uh, run uh, up in Grona Broher. Chris, I'm going to have to go for no reason other than time. I know we shall talk again. Thank you very much. Long-time friend of the show, Dr. Chris Luke. Join the Conversation. Call us now. 0818-969696-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-
yes, I have health insurance. I'm lucky enough to have health insurance, but my health insurance was getting me nowhere at three o'clock in the morning when I had a serious burn and I needed to be seen quickly by a doctor. My health insurance was of no use to me. I went straight out to the emergency department and I was seen there in the middle of the night. But I do take your point, Sarah. I do take your point. You're paying heavily for health insurance and here's a private clinic taking public patients. But that's how serious the problem is. And as Chris says, and he's 40 years or more working in emergency medicine, putting everything and everyone into the COH or into the Mercy, it's a disaster. It's never going to work and we're never going to solve the trolley crisis um, unless we start doing doing things a bit differently. I'd be interested in hearing Chris's opinion on a special asthma clinic separate to A&E. A lot of people have raised that idea over the years. Asthma brings an awful lot of people to the emergency department at all hours of the day and night. We'll talk about that with Chris maybe another day. And another Chris says a big thank you to Chris for all he's done and continues to do, giving his time to the up-and-coming medical students and for giving his voice to the problems in healthcare. I wish the powers that be would listen to him. Thank you. I think they are listening to him. They're starting to listen to him. But I've, I've never studied medicine, of course. What I am told, and I speak not just as someone who has great respect for Chris Luke, but he is described as an incredible teacher. I've often heard him described as the most wonderful, wonderful teacher. And I, you know, listening to him and the passion in his interviews, it's, it's easy to see why he would be. Now, Frank, I have apps is in Aberdeen. Good morning, Aberdeen. Lovely Aberdeen, I'm told. I've never been. <laughs> are you sure you know where you are? If you were in Brighton, you'd be on the Golden Mile. If you're on the Royal Mile, you're in Edinburgh. I'm not even sure where I was. The Golden Mile for me is in Blackpool, isn't it? Not Blackpool, Blackpool. You know the one with the Marys. Yeah. And the, the Golden Mile, there's also a Golden Mile in Playa de las Americas, in Tenerife. Just so you know. Thanks, Frank. Good morning, Aberdeen. 0818-969696. And I played this clip yesterday from last May. We were talking about the, the closure of the Tung Sing and other places, lots of other places. Pigal is gone, for example. Tung Sing, like I said, gone. The oldest Chinese restaurant in Cork. The first, I think the first ever sit-down Chinese restaurant in Cork, the, the Tung Sing, closed at the weekend. And people were... Thing. If the tongue thing is gone, we are in serious trouble. And we were talking yesterday about the sale, the Bolly Barber putting up his business for sale, and the Twilight News is gone from last week. And there's a list of them. It's an increasing list. All small businesses. There's a lovely pet shop gone down in Dunmanway, or going in Dunmanway. And it's happening everywhere. Last May, have a listen to this. I think we're in the midst of a huge recession, even though our government won't admit to it. Everybody, in the last six months, their disposable income is down probably about 500 euro a month. Everybody is seriously suffering at the moment. To me, that's the verge of a recession. And you can see by the small businesses that are absolutely being decimated at the moment throughout rural Ireland and indeed in big towns and cities as well. Businesses are absolutely being crucified. And we're only going to see one thing within the next six months. And the only reason why we haven't seen it yet is because they postponed the debt warehouse until another 12 months but come October, November, December people are just going to go, that's it, I'm out There was a piece in the Irish Times in the last few days as well which says if you want to go for a meal, a nice meal uh, and you're looking at a particular restaurant trying to get there before May because May is going to bring carnage. That voice with the voice of Paul Trebo. Paul, good morning 
PJ, how are you, sir? Good. Are you here to tell me you told me so? No, because you know what? I, I'd love to gloat, but I know exactly the amount of families and the amount of business people that are absolutely devastated. So I, I don't want to say I told you so. I just what I would say is I wish the bloody government listened to me because you could see the writing on the wall 12 months out, six months out, three months out. And, and, and nobody listened. And they all sit and they give you the usual waffle and this and that and usual crap. And, and yet here we are. And I only tweeted yesterday, actually, just before uh, researchers called me. I said, if you think what we've seen so far is bad, that they are just the few ripples of the major wave coming in Mm. before the actual tsunami hits, and it's about to get a hell of a lot worse. I don't know how familiar you were with Tong Singh, but it's a Cork. It was a Cork institution for sixty years, and it's gone. Yeah, very well known, very well known place. Uh, what what that is showing, because when I was talking to to our team inside in the restaurant, uh, one of the waiters turns around to me and he goes, well, like, I mean, how after 60 years have they not built up enough of a reserve to, you know, to be able to, to drive on and see this through and whatever? Uh, now, that's probably second, if not third generation that's taken it on or somebody who's bought the name and franchise of it, whatever. And the reality of it is, is that, yes, they might have made money over all the years and yes, they might have invested money and be economically sound that way or financially sound that way. But they would have looked at their book from last year and went the size of the building the heating of this building the rent of this building the the cost of just running this building means we lost a hundred grand last year and that means if we go again next year we're going to lose another hundred grand and nobody in their right mind is going to continue a business that is bleeding and hemorrhaging so much money and the problem is is that this is all i mean you could turn around and say to me listen what's caused this i could give you a waffle answer or i could give you a straight to the heart answer go on this is so well, it's successive failed government policies over the last three, four years that have decimated. When I say restaurants, I'm including every small family-run business throughout the country. I used to always say it was, it's particularly rural Ireland, but it's, but it's not. It's a bigger picture. You're seeing it in the city centres now, as you guys can see down in Cork. Dublin has been torn apart. Galway's been torn apart. All these places are being torn apart because... Idiots in Leinster House turned around and said, well, we know best and we're just going to do this anyway. And if somebody who actually is in the industry or somebody who does know better said, hang on a second, lads, this won't work, i.e. this bald gobshite down here in Killarney who's been shouting this for the last two or three years, they just waffled him off and just went, sure, what would this guy know? He's only an old burger flipper. This guy hasn't a clue about economics. This guy hasn't a clue about politics. But I'm not the general sitting in the office trying to figure out what's the best tactic of this war. I'm the soldier who's in the trench, like everyone who's listening, who's in business right now. So what would you do differently, Paul, if if we swap jobs and if we put the minister behind your counter, which would probably empty the the restaurant faster than than anything. But but if if we put you in the minister's office for for six months, what would you do knowing the business as you do, growing up in the business as you did? What if you say what would I do today? Today you now need to clean up the monumental mess that these guys have made. If you ask me what I would have done four years ago, well, I certainly wouldn't have shut down hospitality for the length of time that they shut down hospitality. I certainly wouldn't have done outdoor dining only in restaurants, but bar, but uh, hotels could open up their bars and restaurants so that anybody and everybody could come in and sit down. That cost the restaurant industry and the pub industry two months of being closed, which meant not only did it cost us two months of turnover, it cost us the government two months of subsidies, of, which is ultimately the taxpayer, i.e. everybody listening. So the two, three years of COVID policies, which we 
we now know were fundamentally wrong have absolutely caused this whatever storm you want you to You say now no. I'll pull up I'll pull up with you there because I had this discussion with the Queen Bee over Christmas and she has followed you as you know and you know her well. You've met yeah. her. The question is, did, looking back at the COVID policies now, did we overreact? Well, you know what? We probably did. But at the time, we did, according to the man at the at the WHO, Mike Ryan, he said perfection is the enemy of good. Did we overreact? We possibly well, did. But then again, I saw my wife stretched on a bed close to hospital with COVID. No, I get all that. And PJ, I, I don't say this flippantly. And I notice people that are listening that have, have lost loved ones during COVID. So I don't say this flippantly by any means by saying, well, we should have just, you know, there was no shadow of a doubt there was a virus going around that was making an awful lot of people sick. Now, when we really look at what was going on, are the figures 100% right or were they manipulated? Varadkar himself turned around and said, you know, look, if you fell out of a helicopter and, and landed on the ground and had COVID, you know, we probably would have said you died of COVID. So are the figures that we got right, are they anywhere near what they said was going to happen. Look, we've learned a hell of a lot Mm. since then. Would we do it again tomorrow? Probably not. Probably not. But so having said all that, then we must go back and be really honest with each other and say, did we overreact? Yes. And unfortunately, because we overreacted, there are going to be consequences of those but, actions. But, which but is so, did, so did right most now. of the Western world, Paul. But I move, move on to how we'd fix it from here on in. Like you've got all this warehouse debt coming in in May. The minimum wage. Yeah. I hope you're not going to tell me that the minimum wage is to blame. Well, I'm going to tell you. So, again, listen, in order to solve a problem, you've got to get to the, to the absolute root of the problem. Why has the minimum wage been increased? And, and just, again, to be perfectly clear, because there's people texting you, oh, your man doesn't want to pay anybody anything. I will gladly pay my staff 50 euro an hour as long as you don't mind paying 100 euro for a breast of chicken. It's a simple mathematical equation is how you operate a business. So when you turn around and say, listen, oh, putting up the minimum wage, why are we putting up the minimum wage? Well, we're putting up the minimum wages because the cost of living has gone through the roof. The cost of living has gone through the roof because we shut down the world for two or three years. We haven't, we don't, do we even have an energy regulator? Apparently we do. Have they been taken into task? All our energy bills are through the roof because the governments have threatened once or twice. Should we just put in a windfall tax? Hasn't happened. If I, if the shoe was on the other foot, I guarantee you they could create legislation to bring the prices up if they so had to. So they could easily drop these prices, but they're not. Everything has gone through the roof. They can't, people can't pay their rent. People are struggling with their mortgage. Why can't we pay our rent? We just saw an article come out there yesterday that 85% of a particular uh, housing estate was sold to an English vulture fund that was earmarked to be given to private individual sellers. So our government, excuse my French, are full of, I'll let you finish that. When they turn around and they promise us left, right and centre, they're not delivering a single thing, never mind left, right and centre. So the rent is up because we have a serious uh, property housing issue. What are we doing? Well, we're bringing in, and people are going to get upset when I say this, but we're bringing in so many people and we're housing them and we're putting them in. So private landlords who have three, four, five houses that would have kept them in holiday destinations like Kinsale, Killarney, Kenmare, all around the country, Westport, it's now more lucrative to fill them with asylum seekers or refugees than it is to hold on to it for the bar, the restaurant, the hotel, whose staff would have normally hired well, them. Well, I mean, you're there in, in the heart of Killarney, a place very close to yeah. my heart, and so many of the better-known places have been taken over. And I know there's a lot of 40%. bad feeling down there. 
100 like I'm not going to lie because I've been saying this when I first came out and said this in May of 2022 and I said our population if Killarney has increased 13% in about 6 weeks I said can nobody else see the alarm bells that this is that this is bringing now for I, I, this is very very important I don't blame a single accommodation provider because the money is so lucrative I don't blame a single asylum seeker or refugee because they're getting it for free now, that does not make it right. What I blame is the policymakers, which are up there in Leinster House, that nobody turned around. And when I say Killarney, I mean every single town across the country that's experiencing this. Nobody did a feasibility study and said, how many people can we put into Killarney without affecting the demographics and the dynamics of that town? Nobody. So we said, we'll just keep piling them in. And now we have 40% of our accommodation gone. The population of Killarney is 10,000 people. We have 4,000 refugees. And there's people going, you think that's bad? We gave all our accommodation away in Yall. We gave all our accommodation up in towns around Donegal. Now, you can't sit in Leinster House and preach to me and you who is voting for these guys in the next general election and say, but your lads, just deal with it. And if you question this, you're racist. So don't forget what happened if you questioned. When I questioned what was going on during COVID, but you're, you, are you a scientist? Are you a doctor? Mm. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Now, if you question something, you go, but sorry, are you an economist? No, you're a racist for saying we got to help all the, the, the immigrants that are coming in. And that's all well and good. But nobody deserves to be brought into a country to be given free gratis forever on men for an unlimited amount of time. By all means, we'll help people. By all means, come in for three months. But you'll also get a PPS number. And after three months, you're on your own to fend for yourself because what they are doing is destroying tourism. Now, the knock on effect for that is that what we're seeing right now is all the businesses being shut down and closing because it's simply not feasible to trade as a restaurant. Now, we're very, very lucky in Trevo's in Killarney. We're there 20-odd years. I bought the building. I don't have a landlord bursting my balls looking for rent. I don't have the bank manager crucifying me. He still gives me the odd phone call, but he's not crucifying me every month saying, you know, you need to pay X, Y, Z. And we're one of the lucky ones, and we're under immense pressure. Yeah, And I'm talking to all the other restaurant owners, whether it be in Killarney, I know plenty of people down in Cork as well, they're going, I just don't see any reason for me to continue because I don't want to go through. Like, and So this year, and I'm not blowing smoke out of my own ass, I'm just telling you what we did. For six months of this year, I had four days off. But that's fine because I own the place and my brother owns the place and that's what we had to do in order to keep the place alive. Now, I don't mind doing that, providing Mm. we come to the end of the season and I turn around and go, we have a nice healthy bank balance. That's going to get us through the winter. That's fine. I can chill out for three or four months. No bother. But I get to the end of it and go, I barely just, I've, I've just literally scraped through and this winter is going to be absolute carnage. So there's a good chance I'll be at my max overdraft come the end of February because we just haven't traded enough during last year to get us through the winter months. Now, I know we're very lucky. We have a lot of tour operators. We have a lot of uh, pre-orders and bookings as well starting for the new season. But a lot of people aren't that lucky. They're based on, you know, the, the, the husband and the wife and the family coming in for dinner to keep them afloat. And that's simply gone because... Joe Bloggs sitting at home with his wife or husband and kids is down five, six, seven hundred euro a month disposable income because of the cost of living. So the first thing that goes is the luxury, i.e. eating out. So you're going to say to me, Tong Sing is the start, only the start. There, there, there are people, I walked into the bank, this is about, I think, November down in, uh, in Killarney, and I met one of the bank managers and he was shaking his head. And I said, what are you doing shaking your head? You bankers don't need to shake your head. You're flying it. And he said, you have no idea, Paul, the amount of people that have told me in the new year, we're gone. 
It's happy, happy, smiley, smiley, up until Christmas. We'll put a sign on the door saying, close for two weeks for our annual holidays, and they ain't coming back. They've already told us they're handing back the keys. Because now on top of, so, so we're a very small operator, particularly off peak season. We've maybe six, seven staff maximum at this time of year, including my brother and myself. My wage increase net to me is about 600 euro a week. Like just so everyone listening understands what that means. And it's not just the minimum wage going up, it's the knock on. So say for argument's sakes, minimum wage was a tenner, it's now 12.50. The guy on 12.50, well, he wants 15. The guy on 15, well, he wants 17 because for obvious reasons, they're saying, listen, I'm here longer, I'm more qualified. Mm. And it's not just restaurants, this is across the board. So it's the knock on effect. So I need to take the best part of 2,000 euro in order to have that money to be able to give the wages. Now, I, that's per week. Now, I'm no way on this earth going to be up 2,000 euro a week. It's just simply not possible, which means I trade at a loss. Put that into the hairdresser, put that into the bar, put that into the small corner shop, put that into everything that's going around. And you're now turning around going, so I need to do this for three, four months just to hopefully get into the season, to hopefully that's going to be better, even though I know 30, 40, 50% of the accommodation is gone, so my tourism is going to be down. Yeah. And you're telling me now in May I'm faced with a colossal warehouse tax bill? Yeah. So what, why, why would I? Why would I do this? And people are only realizing it this week, actual business people, because you'd be amazed. A lot of people that get into business actually aren't that smart. My brother, he wouldn't, he'd probably hit me a box for saying this, but he's a very, he's a brilliant chef. But if he was to ask what two and two is, he'd probably give you 36. If you ask how much was in the account, he wouldn't have a clue. If you ask him how to write a check, he wouldn't know where to start. That's a lot of people have gotten into business. So they've only now just realized this week, geez, my wage bill has gone up three, four, five hundred euro. Sure, I can't sustain that. Yeah. And people are now realizing that it's hitting, coupled with that warehouse tax coming on. But here's the problem, PJ. Here's the real, real crux of the problem. The guys running the show right now in Leicester House are living with 80s and 90s political mentality. It doesn't matter if Trevo's in Killarney goes bust. Do you know why? Because there's 20 guys dying to get in there to open up another restaurant and open up another shop or whatever. The vape that's shop. That's not the case. Yeah, well, that's what we're seeing. When you think about it, why are we seeing vape shops, phone shops, and wig shops all around the country? All I say is, if anyone has never seen the TV series Ozark on Netflix, go watch it. Go <laughs> inside there. Paul, listen, I'm going to read but, this one out to you because Patrick has messaged in who follows you, I take it, on social media. And he said, Paul is a xenophobic racist and he's anti-LGBT. Answer that, my friend. <laughs> As I always say, when they fear you, PJ, they label you. When they lack the intelligence to debate you, that this is the kind of muck that they come out with. So bring Patrick on the radio any day and he'll see. Tell him to come into the restaurant, see how xenophobic and racist and, and LGB phobia I am when he meets my gay black Croatian worker who works for me. So, <laughs> there you are, Patrick. Paul Trevo, always a pleasure. I wish you hadn't been right last May. I hope you're not right now. I think, do you know what, PJ? Like, I, uh, for me, I always call a spade a spade. I, I, I wish I, I was wrong too, but I genuinely don't think I am. I right. really do feel so many family businesses are just going to turn around and go, there's just no point. And may I just add that a lot of them are right because there are people listening right now going, I'll just give it one more year. I'll just give it one more year. Look back on your books in the last three or four years. Realize the money you lost. For two of those years, you were kept afloat due to subsidies. Last year, subsidies were pretty much gone. You lost your shirt last year. There'll be no subsidies this year, and you're going to lose even more money this year. Sometimes I do a lot of consultancy for the hospitality around, and I turn around to the people and I say, listen, do you know what? you're actually better off closing that door. As horrible and as oh, terrible as that yeah. sounds, you're actually better bailing out now. Because what will follow is your health. 
That's what will follow. Paul, I'll leave a go there and I'll talk to you very soon. Take care. Paul Trevo, uh, proprietor and owner of Trevo's Restaurant in Killarney. And the Palamoyne. And I make no, no apologies for it. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Yeah, some responses. To, oh, by the way, Sandy says there's thick snow falling in Mallow or has fallen in Mallow this morning. So we'd Mallow and we'd Bandon with snow falling. None in the city that I've seen so far. On Tong Singh, you'd wonder, PJ, did they bite off more than they could chew? If they only had the Patrick Street outlet, maybe more people would have gone there. But they'd Blarney, they'd Ballancolic, which is closed. Now they've opened in the Marina Market. When you're opening numerous locations, you're going to cut the clientele to your current shop. Especially when the parking in Blarney and the Marina Market is free, but parking in town's astronomical. It's just a thought. That's my two cents worth. Sad to see it go all the same says Sarah. Well, you have a point, Sarah. On the ambulances, um, oh, get back to Paul. Uh, you hear, 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 Mick. Mick says, hear, hear, Paul. The book has to stop with the politicians and the policy makers. Hi, PJ. Paul Drave over President. The man has hit every nail on the head. The government aren't worried about the amount of pubs and restaurants closing down because of the amount they take in every year from corporation tax, says Richie, just on part of my conversation with Paul, and this is a conversation I had to chat with herself over the Christmas and New Year, just as we were, you know, just reflecting on the year and looking forward to the next year. And of course, COVID came up and various news reports about how we're looking back now at how we handled it. And, you know, do I believe at the time we did the right thing? I do, because we didn't know what was coming. We'd seen Italy, we'd seen Spain, we'd seen China, and we'd seen what was happening, and did we do the right thing at the right time? I, I firmly believe that we did. Did we, over, looking back, did we possibly overreact? I think we probably did, but at the time, we did the right thing. Uh, they overreacted because of fear. They didn't know what was happening. Uh, did that man, Paul, not see the army trucks full of dead people in Italy at the start of the pandemic? No, I, I think you're right there. You know, we, we were terrified of this thing. We didn't know what it was. So the option was shut down. And at the time, I, I, I had it somewhere. It's gone now. I remember Mike Ryan always saying, eh, the perfection is the enemy of good. If you strive to be perfect, you'll actually never get it right. Which I thought was a great... Isn't that a great motto for life? Perfection is the enemy of good. On Affidea, and they're opening for free for HSE patients to take a bit of pressure off of CUH and Mercy, Chris Luke, on talking to me about it earlier on. Sarah uh, chimed in and said, hang on a second, I pay a fortune for private health insurance and now people can go for free into the affidavit and Sarah, Sarah was a bit put out about it. Somebody else who doesn't give their name, I totally agree with Sarah. I just renewed my family's private health insurance, five grand for two adults and three children. Now affidavit is free. I could have spent five grand on so much more, but I prioritised our health. Uh, I'm working to pay for all this insurance, so I can't take a call. I'm surprised at that pushback, actually. I was delighted to see it. Not that I'm ever going to have to use it. Hopefully. But if I didn't, if I needed an emergency department for a real emergency, maybe the people in Aphidia with small bumps and knocks and strains and sprains, maybe they take, I don't, I don't know. And I pay health insurance, by the way. 
in case anyone thinks I don't. I do. Um, for the four of us, and it's pricey. 0818969696. PJ, I work in the ambulance service. If we get a call out for a broken wrist or something more minor than that, we're directed to bring them to the EDs. We can't bring them to Aphidea or the urgent care centres. We then have to wait hours until that patient with a more minor injury is admitted. We should be allowed to send patients to the centres too and free up the ambulances. They're already in short supply and that's not got a name on it, but I appreciate the message. Uh, health, health service staff frequently contact us here uh, because they trust this show and, and I'm proud and, you know, it's privileged that they trust this show um, to, to, to pass stuff on to us that we wouldn't otherwise get to hear. But they can't give their names and we, we do appreciate that. 0818 96 96 96. We're going to be playing this little clip, I think, at the end of 2024 when we look back on the year in showbiz. And who knows, it might be followed by others. And the Golden Globe goes to Killian Murphy. This is Killian Murphy's second nomination and first win. Killian wins his Golden Globe tonight for his role of J. Robert Oppenheimer in Oppenheimer. Now, I remember a marvellous, marvellous movie called The Wind That Shakes the Barley. It's well worth a look. Uh, You'll find it wherever you get your movies. Nearly 20 years ago, a movie made by Ken Loach. Ger Carney, you worked on that film with Killian. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, yes, I did. Yeah, I was cast as Donica in the Wind of Shakespeare way back in 2005. Would you believe? Nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. That was a fantastic film. And I only watched it, was, it recently. Yeah. And it was, at the time, we didn't realise how good it was. Yeah. I mean, well, it won the Palme d'Or, so it did really, really well um, at the Cannes Film Festival. And... Um, I mean, when we were making it, there was kind of a sense that we were making something special. Because um, Killian at the time was on the rise as well, you know. Mm. So, and this was a small independent movie for, but by his standards, you know, yeah, but yeah. it had such a big reaction. So, um, it was it was a superb project. What did you make of him then and what do you make of him now? Oh, well, he was great. I mean, um, I'm, well, I don't know him personally, no, I would say, but I did work with him for the... Yeah, for maybe it's come somebody photographs if you're going around, shit. actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was great. He was just such kind of um, a humble person. Like, you know, there was no sense of, like, um, import. He had no... He, he didn't project any kind of self-important kind of uh, image about himself. He was uh, really down to earth. Um really dedicated i mean if, if i was to sum him up it was re he was really dedicated if you watch some of the interviews going around um about oppenheimer and the cast matt damon and and um robert downey jr uh, they're all saying that they used to invite him to dinner and he would never come and he was the same way back in making the window shakes the barley as soon as the, the day's work is finished he was off and he was researching for for the next day mm-hmm. you know because um yeah, so he's there's a real sense of dedication with him um, so and it seems like that nothing's changed. That that's his way, you know. Yeah. He owns it in Occup- in in Oppenheimer, in that there is such a stellar cast around him, mm. and you almost forget they're there because you're focused yeah. on yeah, him. It's really good. Yeah, he was superb. He, he was really, magnificent really was. and well would, deserved. Wouldn't it be wonderful it was, it to get the little a statue in a, in in a couple of months' time as well? Jerry, what are you at at the moment? 
So I'm really focused on on my magic, um, and uh, so I'm kind of just uh, working a lot of corporate functions and a lot of weddings, but I, I'm still doing a little bit of acting. And last year, this time last year, actually, we made a feature uh, called Swing Boat, and that's um, going to kind of premiere on the 26th of February mm. uh, at the Dublin International Film Festival. Swing Boat and, or Swing Boat? Uh, swing Boat. It's, it's kind of a fictional kind of a drama um, about the underground or what happens behind the scenes of a boxing fight and all the drama that goes with it and Ooh. all the corruption that's there. Ooh, I look um, forward to that it happens, one. It happens in the corridors and the back rooms and the, and the dressing rooms of a, a major fight night. Oh, I look forward to that. I'm a boxing fan, yeah. as, as you may know. I look forward to that one. Yeah. Come here, on magic. Uh, I've been meaning to talk yourself or, or my other great friend Liam Sheehan I always wanted to ask you one of these you've seen all these videos going around on TikTok and on Facebook the, is the Chinese yeah. lads they're showing how magic tricks are done and yeah. it's they're actually fantastic videos but I'm kind of thinking to myself they're only showing you what they want you to see there's an awful lot yeah. more to the great illusions uh, yeah, I've seen lots of them. And, um, like, if you look really closely, like, you, there's normally two of them there. Uh, one is doing a trick to the other, and you're seeing the exposed view. Well, both of them are in on it, you know. Yeah. Both of them know what's going on. But one guy is pretending he doesn't know what's going on, and he's super impressed. And it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, really, you know. Um, yeah. And it's always the thing, like, with magic, the way it is today, there's no new branches of magic because you have social media of magic. I mean, for a while there, you have TV magic, and they were all new branches. They were all new ways of presenting magic. Mm. But uh, in in reality, like you can find out how anything is done, really. You know, but magic, really, what you can't undo is when you see magic live for the first time. You can't undo the feeling that you've just experienced. Yeah, I know. I've you know? seen you. I've you seen you work at close hand, and I could be the next, the rest of the week trying to explain it. But you know, Jared, on the subject for a second, greatest greatest magician you have ever seen on television or live? Who would it be? Um, so live would be Jan Frisch has the best. Act. He's, He's a French magician, kind of a. Yeah, Jan Frisch, uh, it does this kind of, it's a half, it's, it's, a, it's the oldest trick in the world. He's doing the cups and balls, but he's doing it kind of mixing it with misdirection and juggling. And yeah. it's phenomenal to see. It's phenomenal. And mm -hmm. I, I saw that live uh, at the Blackpool Magic Convention at FISM. And FISM is the Olympics of magic. It's a competition that happens once every three years. And he won um, the, the FISM, uh, he won FISM with this act. Yeah. And uh, it was just... It was just superb. It really, really was superb. So that's probably the best act I've seen. Close-up magicians. Um, I'm really into a, an English magician right now called Ben Earl. His teachings, his psychology, mm. um, his sleight-of-hand ability. Um, and then uh, the French are always good. Like David Stone would be another guy who would have been a very big inspiration yeah. for me. I'll I'll um, if, if I told you that the name... Of the guy who has always, and I've watched his videos, he's long dead, I've watched his videos, and I cannot figure mm. anything out. Greatest I ever saw on television. Not Paul Daniels, not any of those guys. Tommy Cooper. <laughs> Tommy's brilliant. Tommy was a wonderful like, magician. Tom, Tommy, Tom, Tommy was an entertainer. Tommy yeah. was just, just that, that was it. it. You know, he knew exactly what he was going for. He was brilliant. Yeah. He's brilliant. I watch clips of him all the time. And it's you just, still wonder, as a magician so yourself, you're kind of wondering, how the hell did he do that? 
<laughs> well, you know, I mean, he 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 kind of really laughed at himself as well. You That's know, right. I mean, he used to he used to just let things go wrong just for the laughs. That's right. Uh, uh, but he was distracting you from the real Cooper. trick. Yeah, there's, 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 there is a story about Tommy Cooper that when he went to the States, they really didn't get his humor. And that um, uh, they pulled him aside one night and said, listen, we think you should rehearse more because the tricks that you did last night went wrong the night before as well. You know, not knowing that his whole act was about, That's right. you know, laughing at himself, you know. Ger, I wish you well. I hope our paths will cross at some stage over the next few months. One of the best live entertainers out there. Uh, Close-up magic, supreme. Uh, Jar Carney, um, our local musician, magician, and actor as well. Uh, I look forward to that new film, Swing Bout. That will be good. But if you get a chance to see Jar up close, watch, seeking to catch him. I guarantee you won't. 0818 96 96 96. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Your afternoon soundtrack with the biggest tunes from your favourite artists, plenty of giveaways and all things Cork from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96FM.ie This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Patrick, talking about Paul Trevo. Um, Patrick says there was an anti-trans conference held in Killarney attended mainly by British people. Paul made anti-trans comments on Twitter, got a lot of people from the conference, went to his restaurant on foot of this he was on the far right GB News to speak about it a channel which is very much racist anti-LGBT and anti-vaccine, says Patrick it's a view. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now Ned, uh, there's kindness everywhere. You've come across it. Morning. Hi Ned. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Happy New Year to you. And to you, my friend. What happened? Well, yesterday evening, I did, I needed some groceries, and I live close by to Dunn Stores in Bandon Road. Yes. I I w- went down. Got my trolley, proceeded to get the few groceries, and I just took 20 euros with me. Yeah. Went along, got what I wanted, and I approached the till. My gro- the bill came to 28.99. So all I had was 20 euros. So I said to the lady in the tail, something has got to go back. She looked at the groceries, she opened the drawer, took her purse out, and gave me five euros. The lady on the I couldn't believe that there were such people in the world today. My goodness me. That, that's what they call the posh duns, is it, Ned? Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Lovely yeah. staff out there. So, so, so you're on the till and you've overestimated the cost of it by about a fiver and she takes yes. a fiver out of her purse and gives yeah. it to you. And give, me, and give me two coins back. How kind was that? Um, I, I thought I'd never experienced such kindness. You didn't happen to see her name on the tag, did you? Yeah, Mandy was her name. Mandy. Yes. Well, whoever Mandy's parents or partners or family are, and Mandy herself, be very proud. That was a wonderful gesture. 
a, a fantastic start to the new year. Wasn't it just, Ned? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Good man. All right. Listen, you mind yourself, fella. Have a lovely day. And thank you very much for taking the call. Cheers. Thank you for making the call. Ned, I mean, there's a story. There's a story of kindness. And Mandy, whoever you are, who works in the till at Duns, the posh Duns, well done you. Well done to you. 0818969696. Just to to see if we haven't cleared any. Yeah, a lot of people pushing back a bit on the Aphidia decision to take HSE people to try to deal with the queues and the waiting times at CUH um, again as I tell you we'll, we will podcast the interview with with um, Chris Luke about it but some people pushing back saying we're paying thousands for our insurance every year and now the public patients can go into Aphidia for free and they feel it's unfair Sarah said she felt it was unfair they pay nearly 7,000. Someone else said they're paying nearly 5,000 for their private health insurance. And do they feel it's money wasted now because it's being spent on, well, the, the people can get into, get into the, uh, the affidavit. You kind of wonder, yes, yeah, sure. We, I mean, thankfully I am able to pay health insurance as well. But do I begrudge someone being able to get into the affidavit rather than sitting for 12 hours up in the, C-U-H, I, I don't begrudge it to them at all. I can't begrudge it to them. I know someone who had a very long wait after a fall in C-U-H over the Christmas time. Quite an elderly person. Had sustained an injury in a fall, a painful injury. Uh, that it was set and she was put in plaster and all of that. And she was treated extremely well. But at the time, when they went up there with her, and very much an elderly lady, in a lot of pain, Having had a fall, um, there was a 10 to 12 hour wait. Like that shouldn't be, and as Chris said, that shouldn't be happening. Shouldn't be happening. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Something else I think we might come back to in the next day or two. I don't know if you saw it. It came in about this time yesterday and I had printed something off about it and of course lost it during the course of the morning. Was um, the Pope... The Pope has hit out at surrogacy and he's called it despicable and he's called it evil and he's called it wound for rent. Something I'd focus on maybe when I'm back. I'm not here tomorrow, by the way. Gareth sits in tomorrow. Tomorrow's a big day for the, the Coogan family. Uh, we're bidding herself off for a year. She's headed to, to Australia and we will miss the hell out of her. But uh, I'm sure you'll excuse me if I take tomorrow off to uh, head off to, to Dublin with her to see her on the first leg of the journey and Gareth will, will look after you for the morning. Here's the thing about the Pope. Yeah, Pope Francis has called for a universal ban on surrogacy. He says it is a despicable practice. He included the commercialization of pregnancy in an annual speech listening global threats to humanity and human dignity as he sees them. He does this every year, but he spoke particularly about surrogate. Surrogates. I consider despicable the practice of so-called surrogate motherhood, which represents a grave violation of the dignity of the woman and child, based on the exploitation of situations of the mother's material needs. And he called on the international community 
to prohibit this practice, which he calls uterus for rent. And Gareth will be discussing that on air tomorrow. So you can look forward to that. Programme today, edited by Imre Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. All of your podcasts will be up shortly. I will see you back here on Thursday. Gareth is in tomorrow, just after nine. Listen to your favourite shows on the go. Download the Corks 96 FM app.